they're just skipping over this anyway. Just skipping over it. <laughs> puts you in the mood, doesn't it, Mark? They're just skipping over it, Wade. It puts you in the mood. <laughs> But enough with the Batman theme. <laughs> well, I, I, it's not a, it's not holiday music, but it might as well be because that is going to foreshadow one of the things we're talking about today on our annual holiday and Christmas and Hanukkah show and gift guide and all the rest of that stuff. It's not a Kwanzaa show. It, it could be if, if if you want it to be. We don't really have any Kwanzaa product. I don't know that there is any Kwanzaa product out there, really. But um, there it is. So we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna have an awesome show today. We got interviews. Segments like a real talk show, giveaways, uh, and tons and tons of product. Now, you know, when I walk into yeah. uh, our little recording area yeah. and Wade has stacked up yeah. everything we're going to talk about, yeah. 51 weeks out of the year, it's just a bunch of, you know, Blu rays and DVDs. Yes. But for the gift show, it's like. An entire mountain of multi-Blu-ray <laughs> box sets and gigantic it's, ornate packaging. It's pretty insane. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty insane amount of stuff. But it's you know it's fun. I mean, people offer us the stuff to, to cover, and we're like, okay, that sounds like it'd be great for the show. So wait, I, uh, yes. do do what they do on talk shows. Since you mentioned talk shows, why right. don't you tease the interviews we'll be rolling into the show? Well, our good friend Alonzo Duralde. Fellow member of LAFCA, uh, film critic for The Wrap, and uh, author of Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, uh, does a little segment for us every year because Alonzo is the Christmas expert. That is his field of expertise. There is no one in the world of movies who knows more about Christmas movies than Alonzo Duralde. Jesus does. Because uh, it's really his holiday. I, okay, I'll grant you that. So, um, so we got a little snippet from Alonzo. We also have interviews. Three interviews, one with our good friend, another, uh, two of them are fellow LAFCA members as well. See, that's, we, we, we tap the well, right? Uh, our good friend Charles Solomon has a book out. We talked to him about his book. And we also talked to our good friend Leonard Malton, who has also a book out, but who's uh, stepping into a new phase of his career because this is the last edition of the book. Great, great chat with Leonard Malton. And then we are also going to talk to a legendary veteran television director, Asad Kalada. About WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Asad Kalada, of course, one of the great sitcom directors of all time. You know, did uh, tons of episodes of Who's the Boss and uh, countless other great shows. It did not only did uh, lots of episodes of The Facts of Life, but also did the Facts of Life movie. Remember the Facts of Life in Paris? That's Assad. We have him to blame for that? And Assad directed uh, the majority of the shows in the first season of WKRP and then several shows in, in other seasons going forward. And uh, some of them are just the most classic of the shows. And he's, you know, he was one of the directors who really, if not the director, who set the tone for the show. Uh, he really kind of sculpted it in that first season and the, the, the characters and the whole style of the thing. And so we, uh, we had a good chat with uh, Asad Kalata about WKRP in Cincinnati, looking back on one of the legendary shows of all time, also now out on, D- on DVD. All four and seasons. All four seasons. And, of course, uh, Batman. We're going to be talking momentarily about the long-awaited uh, arrival of the Batman television series on DVD and Blu-ray. We have it on Blu-ray. And uh, I, I, I've been having so much fun with that show. Although I have to say the ultraviolet implementation of it, which I've been enjoying on the iPad. I sort of let it follow me wherever I go and I just put an episode on. Um, it's a little wonky. Really? Yeah, it's a little wonky. Are, I think, are, are you surprised? Um, well, I'm not terribly surprised because the here's the thing. I've, television series on ultraviolet are still really imperfect. A movie <laughs> is one thing. You know, it just it finds the feed. But when you've got a whole, when you've got a series, 
somehow the ultraviolet implementation is keeping track of a lot of different episodes. There are a lot of different streams, right? So your little window when you go to Flickster or Voodoo or whatever, and if you, it's just a movie, that, it knows it goes to look for that movie somewhere. When you bring up Batman, it suddenly has you know three seasons worth of episodes, and it's got to figure out where the and the, the, there are network errors and things crash, and it's not uh, it's imperfect. They'll sort it out. They always do, but Ultra for the time being, has been around for too long. Well, at this it's, point, it's for, them, not a, for it's you not, to say they're going to sort it out at some point, it's not an ultraviolet implementation. I think it's I think it's just the server. I think it's the Warner Brothers servers. Right. I I, I think I know there's, ultraviolet's only as good as what's coming off of the the drives. So wait, you, yes. should we get into it now? What should we do now? Let's get into it right now. And we're going to start. We've been, we've been talking about Batman. So let's continue to talk about Batman. So here it is in my hands. Obviously, it's not a video podcast. So all I can do is describe it to you. It's a nice, it's, it's a box. Wait, it says press here on the side. What, so press yes, here. Yes, exactly. It says, it, it says press here. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it does. That's perfect. That's all you need. Until the battery wears out. <laughs> and then it's it's an off the shelf thing, right? This is just strictly for the shelf. Limited edition. Uh, ours is number forty nine thousand uh, two hundred and something of of ninety five thousand. So uh, we're halfway through there. Anyway, the um, uh, the box is the standard. Uh, how do I fit this on the shelf with everything else that I have? Uh, box form factor, which yeah, we all know: Lawrence of Arabia, Ben Hur, Dooley Wonk, and the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. They all it's have that same. It's a big rectangular. It's a big rectangular thing. Box. And, uh, you know, it's like a, like a half size of a, of a coffee table book. Anyway, folds open here, right? The little Batman logo. And then we've got the Biff Kapow sock thing folds open. And on one side, the Adam West scrapbook, which is great. And a, an episode booklet. And then uh, the cases that have the uh, all the different episodes in them on Blu-ray. And then uh, a l- couple of little toys here on the other side. Mark, why don't you tell the people what the toys are? Well, we have uh, 44 uh, cards. Now, I think this might be re- uh, reproductions of the Tops cards that came out, I think, in the 60s. Um, these aren't playing cards because there's only 44 of them, although it looks like a playing card pack, and it is, uh, yep. it's sealed. But, um, and I'm not going to open it because Wade's going to want to open it. Do you want me That's to open this? No. Okay. I'm going to play with them later. Okay. With the, so, and with the car. Okay. So, uh, but I believe these might be reproductions of the famous Tops cards from, I think it was the 60s. There's mm-hmm. 44 of them. Correct. Very true. And a little die-cast car. It is a Hot Wheels car. This is the actual Hot Wheels Batmobile. Isn't that great? Wow. It's the coolest car ever. Uh, so, yeah, the, the, the show... Uh, How does the show look, Wade? How does the show look? I'll tell you. I mean, Warner Brothers does not disappoint when it comes to, to mastering their stuff on Blu-ray. Uh, the show looks fantastic. It looks fantastic. The... Um, it's it's always interesting too. We've talked about this with a lot of different TV shows. The that uh, the, it takes them sometimes a while to establish the characters and kind of get it. No, Batman was Batman right out of the gate. They had everything there right in the right in the pilot episode. They had the poles and the button and the uh, you know the, the the bat phone and the whole thing. Commissioner Gordon and uh, Chief O'Hara. It's all there. It's all there. Because Chief Gordon. O'Hara was not in the comic. No, that's a that's an uh, invention. For the television series, but it's it's all there. I mean, and every episode remastered, glorious color. And you remember, Batman was a big deal. It was one of those first TV shows that was in really bright color. Color TVs were coming in, and uh, man, they really worked the color. And you know, <laughs> it's Burt Ward is just so funny. He's just so hyperactive. He's so enthused to go fight bad guys in every episode. 
it's a lot of fun. And of course, I can't resist the Batgirl episodes. I mean, when I when I was a kid and I would see those shows, and in the animated beginning when they're when they're running, suddenly you see that you know see her on her little motorcycle. She comes in, kicks those guys. Yes, Yvonne Craig. You're All in. Over. I'm, I'm in. So in. Loved Yvonne Craig. 32-page uh, episode guide also. There's a bunch of uh, Blu-ray extras, over yeah. three hours of Blu-ray extras. These, I'm not saying... No extras are, uh, in the ultraviolet implementation. Right. That's just the episodes, yeah. Uh, I'm not saying all these extras are great, but the thing is that you're going to watch them all because it's like Batman. You just sort of have to. It's like candy. It is. It's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> How can you not buy this? Okay. It's fantastic. Batman, it's, it, we love I mean, it. It's, it's really great stuff. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, there's like a... Um, uh, I thing so on the much to go I know so it's, much to go through. Featurettes, so many featurettes galore. Okay, box sets. So let's plow through a few more box sets real quickly. Uh, more complete series. Pee Wee's Playhouse. Finally on Blu-ray, the complete series. That's Not, important. Blu-ray. That's important. It's important. Although, does Pee Wee's Playhouse really benefit from being uh, in high def? But it should be. It should be. But boy, you can see the makeup. Well, that's fine. It, it just it no, on, look, it's shout factory. We love shout factory. Yeah. It just shows it shows a yeah. respect for the material. It does, and the importance and, of it, and and lots of new interviews, of course, because they're you know it's a legendary show, and everyone's gone on to do bigger and better things. So, uh, yes, we've got a fantastic uh, you know all forty five episodes in high definition, and uh, this thing won like Emmy awards too, which kind of blows my mind. But yes, so the complete Pee Wee's Playhouse. Um, in uh, two, basically, it's a box set that contains two regular DVD keep cases. Each of them has four discs, so eight discs total. Forty-five episodes on eight discs, uh, and this one is a nice form factor that just pops right in the shelf, and uh, you're good. Yep, and it's uh, it's, it's one of the great shows, uh, which is true of a lot of children's shows that yep. they were children's shows, but they also appealed to adults in ways that children just Absolutely didn't understand. Absolutely true. Absolutely. Just didn't understand. Uh, Blu-ray, all Blu-ray, all good. The complete series, True Blood. So this is seven seasons, all on Blu-ray, big honking box set, which would fit on your shelf, by the way. It's not a big rectangle. So that's good. Um, and also at the same time, from uh, the good folks at HBO, we have the complete Blu-ray series of The Sopranos. So we ha- Ooh, I just hit the mic. Yeah, of course. It's, that's, it's, that's it's Christmas. The, that's the Christmas hit the mic. That's it. Uh, so The Sopranos Blu-ray set has five hours of features, and it has two round tables with the cast and crew. And it's about the size of a table. It's big. No, it's big, but it, it's it's it. The form factor allows it to yeah. fit on your shelf. Yes, which is nice. And there's 25 audio commentaries. Of course, a lot a lot of these are old from the old uh, Blu-ray versions. Um, but still, it's a great show, classic show. It's one of the shows that launched not only HBO and the new the new iteration of HBO as a as a producer of original content, but also it helped activate an entire generation of new shows on Showtime. And, you know, Cinemax even with the Nick and also on Basic Cable. And, uh, you know, it's great. It's a great show. And uh, this along with True Blood. Now, True Blood, not a, never a big fan of True Blood. Yeah, it's got a following. This, the, the, this thing kind of came in for a very slow landing. It's uh, got a following. We're not part a, of that following. It has a great following, though. It's got a lot of great extras. Um, there's 80 episodes on 33 discs. A lot of extras here. I would just obviously, The Sopranos is the one that you're going to want to revisit. Yep. Because it's just such a great show. Each hour is like a little mini movie. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So... From the good folks at HBO, we have the Sopranos complete series on Blu-ray and True Blood complete series on Blu-ray. Uh, yeah, it's Sweet. great for the Sopranos or True Blood. The Sopranos good for the uh, 30, 40, 50 somethings. Yeah. True Blood good for the twenty somethings. Oh, there you go. And the thirty somethings who never stop being a twenty something. Look at you. You're you're like you're like a you're like a retail salesman or I something. Am. You're telling that's for you and that's for your daughter and you're 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 nailing all the demos. That's good. Do I want this way? That's what you do. 
Uh, do I no, want this? No, you don't. Because you want it. No. Well, Bastard. Maybe. Okay, so uh, classic television comedy. Great television comedy. We got three complete series here, and I, you can't go wrong with any of them. I mean, these are three great shows. Uh, most important of them all is Sergeant Bilko, the complete series. Uh, hang on, hang on. Before you talk about uh, Sergeant Bilko, yes. why is that the most important one when it is the one that our listeners will, will have least heard of? Because Phil Silvers is hilarious. And I didn't realize it until I started watching this, and I was like, oh my gosh, our friend Phil. Reminds me of Phil Silvers. No, he doesn't. He do- Look, How? come on. That's Phil. Tell me that's not Phil. He wishes. He, he's funny like Phil Silvers. He looks like Phil yeah, Silvers. But, Phil Silvers, but Phil's bald. Phil Silvers, not bald. Well, our friend Phil bald. Okay. Our friend Phil short. Well, Our still. friend Phil famous and on funny. television and has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, I think. Funny, funny show. Now, mind you, this, is, this, is, from, this, is, this is a combination of you know, the Phil Silvers show uh, and Sergeant Bilko, which is, you know, they, these things kind of migrated back then. It was sort of like the Jackie Gleason show and the Honeymooners. And, you know, a lot of these things sort of are, play part and parcel of both. So all you got to know is every single solitary second of uh, Phil Silvers playing Sergeant Bilko is here. And it is absolutely great. So, um, the, uh, you know, you get uh, some great expo- uh, extras here, some episode commentaries, um, Phil Silvers interviews. And uh, there's an, even an episode from the new Phil Silvers show, which didn't really do so well. And uh, footage from the 1959 television special, Keep in Step. And it's great. I mean, there's so many, you know, 142 episodes here. It is just one of the all-time, and this just never gets old. It never gets old. If you, if you want military comedy, if you, if you enjoy that subgenre, get yourself the complete Gomer Pyle. Get yourself the complete... Um, uh, Sergeant Bilko, right here. Right. And then uh, the other one with... Uh, CPO Sharky. No, not CPO Sharky. <laughs> no, 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 no. With uh, uh, er- Ernest Borgnine. Um, huh? The PT boat thing. Uh, uh, PT 109. Uh, Petticoat Junction. No. Uh, oh, uh, why am I drawing a blank? Be- don't stop the recording. Beverly Hillbillies. No. Okay, first of all, let me tell you something. Now, after you're done laughing at Sergeant Bilko TV show with Phil Silvers, you should... Completely destroy that good feeling by watching the 1996 motion picture Phil, uh, Sergeant Bilko starring Steve Martin as Sergeant Bilko. McHale's Navy. McHale's Thank Navy. you. Uh, do you remember the Sergeant Bilko movie? Yes. With Steve Martin as Sergeant Bilko. Oh, that was dreadful. Dan Aykroyd and Phil Hartman. Not good. Not good. Not good. Not good. Also great television comedy. The Jefferson is the complete series. series the deluxe edition. See that? See, a, as in deluxe apartment. Yeah. Uh, you know, of course, the, the Jeffersons was the first major show to uh, spin off from All in the Family. I don't. I think Maude was the first actual show to spin off from All in the Family, but Jeffersons was was the first one that spun off and became an even bigger hit in its own right. I mean, at a certain point, it was like like you remember when Laverne and Shirley spun off from Happy Days, and then suddenly Laverne and Shirley is the number one show on the air. You're like, oh my gosh, how that happened? Did you hear that? that Same uh, thing here. This, this hear- became the number one show on television. Did you hear that Norman Lear wants to re- redo All in the Family? Did you read this? Oh, dear. Norman Lear is like 92 years old. Yeah. He wants to do a new version of All in the Family. Why? It would be completely separate from the original show, which is iconic and one of the all-time great, and not ad- just sitcoms, ad- but shows. And adapted from a British show, we should point out. The That's original right. is, a, is a British adapted show. Adapted and improved, by the way, yeah. from the British show. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this is great. It, it premiered in 1975. Yeah, so the Jeffersons comes in uh, with six cases and just a gob of discs. I mean, it's like it's like thirty discs or something. It's it's really it's outrageously cool. And uh, you know this thing ran for 
11 seasons. 11 seasons. It doesn't seem that long. I know, but man, it just kept on trucking and trucking. And, you know, it, it's, it's just a great show. It's a really terrific show. It ages well, and um, you thoroughly enjoy it. Anyway, uh, lots of uh, extra features on here. Bonus stuff includes the uh, regular original Moving On Up featurette. And, uh, you know, a couple of, uh, like, a, like a never-before-released episode uh, from the uh, Marla Gibbs spinoff series Checking In, which when they, you know, spun, her off, spun off the maid character, Florence, that, that didn't last very that long. Didn't last very no, long. But, you, but you at least kind of, uh, you know, realize, that I, I totally, when I always count up all the spinoff series from All in the Family, that's one I always forget about. You forget that sometimes the spinoffs are the spinoffs. But the spinoffs are the spinoffs. They're not everyone worked, like Checking In didn't work. No, not at all. Not at all. And uh, there, there, there were a few others, too. I'm trying to think. Of what By the way, you know, the Jeffersons, we have to say, yeah. you know, this, this thing, they used, they used the N-word in this show. Oh, I know. They used the, the honky in this show. Yeah. I mean, it was wild. This is yep. a, now, the, as the show went into later seasons, they were, they got, they were definitely political. You know, racism and suicide. And uh, they even did, a, I think, an episode of, like, a, adult illiteracy. Yep. But some of the language sort of smoothed out in the later seasons when it got really popular. And they also have so a bonus. At the beginning, was they really out there? They also have a bonus episode here of a, of a show from 1984 called ER, not the ER that we know with George Clooney, but ER with Elliot Gould. And um, Sherman Hemsley showed up as George Jefferson in that. So the Jeffersons. Kind of weird. A funny, B a little piece of uh, history. And then a show that I didn't enjoy as a kid, but which I've kind of, I sort of appreciated a little more now. Uh, all 143 whopping episodes from these six seasons of Mr. Ed, complete series, Talking Horse. This thing was a big deal at the time. People tuned in every week to see uh, I a, did. A, a horse go Wilbur. I did. And that became a kind of a catchphrase. Uh, it was you know early 1960s, uh, kind of in that um, Ozzy and Harriet period. You know, leave it to Beaver. It's sort of it's it, in that moment before things segued into all the crazy, funky, color, groovy shows like I you know Get Smart and and Batman and uh, I Dream of Genie. And so it, it's it, it's an interesting show uh, from that period, but it's not like those shows. It's more far fetched. It's a freaking talking horse, but it caught the. You know, it captivated the world. It captivated America. So uh, 143 episodes of this thing they, they somehow cranked out. Kind of amazing. Well, well you know, they, I mean, th- this is sort of like, it's a little like Francis the Talking Mule. It's a little like My Mother the Car. Yeah, you've yeah, got yeah. These My shows Mother the Car. And, there you've you got go. these shows and movies that yeah. over the years have, have, like, you know, given birth to, like, talking animal. Like, you know what it is? Babe. Remember Babe? There you go. Babe is like the beloved, Oscar-nominated, beautiful, wonderful version of talking animals. Yeah. Totally. I think Mr. Ed was a little more um, true childish. Yep, not childish, but it was for kids. Yeah, I, I, I loved it actually. I mean that that the show's a little little old for me, but when yeah. I was a kid, it was in reruns. So well, I Mr. Watch it. Mr. Ed, I mean it's still it's not that funny, but there's kind of a nostalgic sheen to it that I, that's that's a little bit fun. So that that complete series is out. Mr. Ed, 143 episodes. Can't believe they made it that many. Anyway, never felt like it was that long. I always felt like there were like 10 episodes. I kept seeing over and over. Anyway, all right. And then uh, real quickly, uh, speaking of old shows from that particular period, the complete series of Annie Oakley is also out from VCI. This is an interesting case, too. It's like a, it's a, it's like a kind of a roundish, it almost looks like a photon torpedo-shaped case. Uh, it, the, the, the series Annie Oakley is long forgotten by most people, um, but it actually, this also had kind of a following at the time. Uh, it starred Gail Davis, who uh, w- is wonderful in the part, and she had done a, like a, a bunch of films with Gene Autry, and she had a, a bit of a you know a, a kind of a semi-feature career, 
and um, she landed the uh, the part of Annie Oakley on television, and really nails it. Quite nice. So the show uh, ran in the 1950s, and uh, it's you know it's kind of it's it's light western fare for television. Kind of on there, you know, in the same vein with the Lone Ranger and the Rifleman and a lot of those things. So it it was a period when westerns were hot on television. A lot of great uh, extras here. Uh, you get some uh, of the original commercials. You get photo galleries and memorabilia and publicity stuff. Uh, and a uh, a nice little documentary called Pigtails and Six Shooters: The Making of TV's Annie Oakley, which has a lot of interviews with the people who worked on the show and uh, television and archival historians. And it's really good. So uh, that's a fun that's a fun little flashback to the fifties as well. Uh, we have a couple of uh, vintage ones, two vintage ones and a newer one for, uh, let's see, the, maybe the dad or the older uncle in your family for Christmas. We have uh, the complete series of Secret Agent. Uh, this was a show from the 60s. It was actually a couple of One was Danger Man, and Danger Man lasted for three seasons, and then was relaunched with Patrick McGowan as Secret Agent. That was from 1964 to 1966. So this is um, Secret Agent. 17 DVDs, by the way, not Blu-rays, a complete series uh, from uh, over at, uh, the guys over at ITV. Uh, they did a good job of this show. The show, actually, if you, if you look at some of these, they're pretty stylish. They're not quite as stylish as, like, noir. They're a little bit too modern to be noir. But uh, there's some interesting, um, interesting plots in here, pretty inter- like complex kind of government conspiracy yeah. type plots in here. It's all about the CIA and the you know, MI5 and that kind of stuff. So Patrick McGowan, who would later go on to star in The Prisoner, of course, uh, he travels the world and capturing criminals all over the world. And uh, there's a lot of good stuff in here. I like Secret Agent, actually. I had mm-hmm. rediscovered it a little bit uh, thanks to this DVD box set. Which this stuff was originally out from uh, A&E. Uh, ages ago, when they released, you know, they had Secret Agent Man and the Saint and the Avengers. They had the, you know, A and E used to run all that British stuff, and then the, those licenses expired, and the uh, the A and E and all that stuff, A and E Library essentially was acquired by uh, Cinedime, and I guess uh, so. Now, uh, you know, ITV Studios is releasing this stuff through Timeless. Um, who releases you know all the uh, the Western stuff we talk about, Big Valley and all that, and it's it's great. It's it's you know finally a really nice. I, I wouldn't mind this on Blu-ray either. I really wouldn't. Uh, Daniel Boone, which I believe has also been out before. Uh, it has. This is better. This is all nicely remastered. It really Fo- is. Well, this, this is the Fox. 50th anniversary. This is, this, is from, this is from Fox. 36 discs, six seasons. Uh, Daniel Boone, uh, played by, of course, Fess Parker. Uh, ask your parents. Yep. Fess Parker is like... He played, he played Davy Crockett, He played too. Davy Crockett. That's and, it. And it's Daniel weird. Boone. That's, That's like J.J. Abrams directing sort of Star Trek did. and Star Wars. Right? Fuh. Fuh. Blah. Blah. Nah. It's on DVD. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, this, was, this was out previously, but this is, uh, you know, six seasons of this, too. My gosh. Crazy, right? How long these shows ran. Never, never felt like they ran that long. Uh, speaking of shows we didn't realize ran that long, oh, uh, Reno 911 was on for six seasons Just of the show. don't get this show. You Still know what, actually, well... I know people love this show, but I, it's not funny. It's a, it's a, it's a very well-put-together... Um, DVD set. It's like translucent a little bit. And uh, I was not always a fan of the show, but I have to say that this show to me was sort of the uh, the proto Adult Swim. You know, it was kind a of. little funky and culty and a little bit uh, naughty and rude and a little bit out there. And it was kind of, it feels like this is the show that led to the sensibility that led to all the Adult Swim stuff it, you see. It probably is. Reno 911 was totally out there. Yeah. And so there's a lot of great stuff in it. I think it lasted too long, but uh, there's a bunch of special features, including you know, profiles and audio commentaries and uh, a bunch of outtakes, which are pretty funny. 
So uh, if you love Reno 911, which is on Comedy Central, um, I'd go for it. The complete series, Reno 911. This should be on Blu-ray, quite frankly, but it is not. And uh, if you are a fan of uh, Eric Von Daniken uh, and the Chariots of the Gods and the Outer Space Connection and all that stuff that uh, I grew up with in, uh, in another decade, long ago, well, of course, then you're probably a fan of the uh, History Channel series Ancient Aliens, which ran for six seasons and is now out in a complete set. Uh, Ancient Aliens, the complete seasons one through six. And um, it may still be on the air. Is Ancient Aliens still running? I haven't. Even, I didn't even look into that. I, I don't know. Well, anyway, I mean, if it is it, still well, running. Right, you know what? When when I flip the channels, there are so many shows know, about aliens and the universe and cons- alien conspiracies. Well, and I was abducted by an alien. Well, my so, stepmother's an alien. This is. Uh, it, it may be coming back for a uh, for a seventh season. So if it is, you know, this is not the complete series. It continues to go, but this is every episode right up to now including uh, 12 that have never been on DVD before. And, uh, you know, 82 episodes. That's, like, like enough to just make your mind spin so that you'll see aliens and evidence of ancient aliens and everything. You know, we're all... We're the offspring of... Uh, it's like, the, the, you know... It's like Prometheus. We Prometheus. are actually the offspring of aliens. Wait, is it time for our first interview? Is it coming up soon? It is, in Ooh, just a moment. Exciting. I also want to mention The Wonder Years, which we reviewed some weeks ago in that uh, From Time Life. Show me. You have to get it from the... Uh... Now, Time Life, their stuff it's is... The, they, they're, it's, look it comes that. in that Come giant on. heavy locker, it right? Comes in a, it's a metal locker case. It's great. Come yeah. on. That's like the one, some of the best packaging of the year. The Wonder Years comes in a big tan it does. high school locker with a little... With a little uh, there's one other, there's on one other the title we're going to get to later that comes in a similar case, but this is arguably one of the best box set cases that we've ever had. Oh, yeah. And The Wonder Years, of course, one of three shows... That was significantly held up for a very, very long time for music rights. Uh, China Beach, the other one. WKRP, we're going to talk about uh, momentarily the other one. So the Wonder Years is out there from uh, Time Life. You've got to go to the Time Life website to get that one. That's not available elsewhere. Um, and before I get to WKRP and our yeah. interview with Asad Kalada, I want to make mention of the Hill Street Blues Complete Series I box set. I love this series. Seven seasons on this one. And show. I watched every single one of these yep. episodes originally. And you know what? Watching them again now, it's like this show is so ahead of its time. So ahead of its time. Without this, obviously, forget about all the other Bochco shows that, you know, sort of came, that spun off from it. But without this show, we wouldn't have Law & Order. Law & Order, The Shield, or NYPD the, Blue, the Shield, or all those shows. We wouldn't, we wouldn't even have, like, The West Wing, which very much is in keeping with the style of this show. You wouldn't have something like, like The Newsroom. Like, uh, Homicide, like Newsroom, Homicide. Homicide. All of those things uh, owe a huge debt to this particular series. Because you have to understand, like, you're like, yeah, Hill Street Blues, uh, that's really old, who cares? Well, ER, well ER all even. the directors and producers who wound up doing the shows that you love, yeah. they were influenced as kids by watching stuff like Hill Street Blues. And Hill Street Blues changed television. It really did. It, it wasn't just that it was, yes, you had stuff like Dallas and, you know, primetime soap operas. Those are soapy. This was like a real soapy. deal. But this was not just with continuing, you know, the old style was Bonanza, Big Valley, and, and you know, Starskin Hutch. You had a different episode every week, right? Different adventure, different mystery, so forth and so on, and then it, there's no sort of continuity. Hill Street Blues did the serialized thing, the, the soap opera thing, where there are these ongoing storylines. But it did it with this large ensemble cast and many different storylines. And it did a lot of cool things, you know, like having, having uh, Daniel J. Travanti and, and uh, uh, 
you know, what's her face, and like in bed oh, every oh, yeah, that, that, like that, every that, single episode the, ended the tall with them. brunette whose name yeah. I can't remember. Everything, right. every single episode ended with them in bed. Um, I, I mean, uh, Veronica Hamill. Veronica Hamill. Veronica Hamill. Every episode ended with them in bed, you know, because they had an affair ongoing. She's, you know, DA. He's the he's the police captain. But it they're all it just it, it, the the feel of the show was so gritty and so authentic and. Um, Totally know. different for the time. So people it, absolutely devoured this show. And it's, it's so, so different holds and so up. great. It so holds and up. And by the way, when I was in college, I, I first semester I, I took piano yep. in college. And uh, for my final in my piano class in college, I played a completely destroyed and butchered and was humiliated the Hill Street Blues theme song by Mike Post. Nice. Good man. I did. I learned to play that on the piano. Well, you get four commentaries here, uh, only four, but they're really good ones. Gag Reel, which isn't much to speak of, and then uh, a bunch of featurettes on the history of the show and interviews and, and uh, the writing, you know, what happened in the writer's room. It's just, it's first rate. This is legendary television. And now, Mark, we're going to talk about WKRP. Yeah. This show is amazing. Uh, we finally have WKRP in Cincinnati out. On Four DVD. seasons on DVD. On DVD. Why? Wait. Well, it, it was shot Why? in video. It was shot in video. So what? Yeah, a lot it, of it's, stuff that's shot on video. Is you on want Blu-ray. it on Blu-ray? I know. I do too. Maybe eventually. But four seasons plus, uh, you know, on, uh, on uh, four different three-disc boxes d- cases, and then a thin uh, slimline case uh, with the bonus features on it. And this is just a sensational series. It is so fantastic. The bonus features are, you know, uh, the, the, from the recent reunion, the Paley Center reunion. They recently did that. Uh, and then there's a couple of featurettes. Um, so it's not much by way of the special features. But let's talk about the show. These characters, it's all about are, the characters. are so unbelievably funny. They are so unbelievably funny. You know, and some of the things that they did on this show were really incredibly daring. We're going to talk a little bit with Assad about one of his episodes, which is Less on a Ledge, one of the very first episodes. And, you know, how they mixed up the funny with the serious, very much like All in the Family did. Very few shows actually could do that really effectively and consistently. And WKRP did it from the very beginning. But this eccentric bunch of people trying to make a ramshackle Cincinnati radio station run, uh, and Howard Hessman is Johnny Fever, who is so funny week in and week out with his just disheveled, old 70s, burned-out DJ persona. He just wants to rock and roll. It's that's just, the thing. The, the humor came from the characters. It, oh, didn't, it's so good. It didn't come from like the wacky situations necessarily. All the humor came from character. There was, in, in, in an age before, you know, there was one episode here too, which is very much breaking the, the, the format where the entire episode was not... It's normally a three-camera show, right, in front of a studio audience. This is But there's one episode which was entirely shot like a documentary. Did you ever see this? I don't remember. Where there's a television show. This is before the reality show, boom, where there's a television show, and Herb Tarlick and his, his dysfunctional family uh, have been chosen as a family. They're going to follow them around. And, uh, and uh, you know, this is our all-American family. They made it onto some television show. And so the whole episode is that show of following around this all-American family, Herb Tarlick and his dysfunctional brood. The kids, the horrible kids, and the wife can't stand him. And um, it, it's, it's brilliant. For example, there's part of it where uh, they're like, okay, we're going to go to church now. It's Sunday. We're going to go to church. And you know Herb Tarlick's never been to church in his life, but they want to look all-American and wholesome. So they get in the car, and they take off. And you're seeing this in the camera from the truck following them. Are they trying to get away from us? 
looks like they're speeding up. Let's catch up to them. And they catch up to them, and then they finally, they, they, they're trying to lose them. Uh, try, you know, trying to lose the tail. And finally, they, they, they can't lose them, so they, they stop and they go to church. All right, let's go in. It's a synagogue. Doors are shut. Sunday. It's, I mean, it's just it's that kind of stuff. It's just brilliant. It's just so, just right off the wall, brilliant satire. Anyway. We've been waiting for this for literally years. For years. They finally sorted out all the music issues. Finally. And um, Asad Kalada. An amazing television director, we talked about him earlier, uh, was, was willing to, to spend a few minutes talking to us about his memories of a show that is really, really near and dear to his heart. So without further ado, here is our interview with a legendary television sitcom director, Asad Kalada of WKRP in Cincinnati. And we are so incredibly privileged right now to be speaking with uh, one of the great television sitcom directors of all time. Uh, and I'm, I'm proud to say also a, a very dear friend, Asad Kalada, who, uh, in addition to shows like Who's the Boss and uh, The Facts of Life, on this particular incident, uh, we're talking to him about his work doing WKRP because one of our huge recommendations this week for, uh, for people's uh, uh, boxed set DVD gifts is uh, the complete set of WKRP, which has been long in the coming because of all these music rights issues. Assad, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my great pleasure, Wade. Thank you for having me. Let's let's first talk about um, how how long it took this thing. How how privy were you to all of the the negotiations that were going on with respect to the music? Because there are a lot of shows like The Wonder Years, which is also out in the complete set now, and China Beach, which came out about a year ago. All of these shows, primarily from the same period of time, seventies, eighties, um, were held up over music rights. How privy were you to what was going on? Well, you know, even when we were doing the show, I was uh, on a weekly basis. We were all aware of uh, of clearances and how crucial that was for the show, and how much negotiation that had to go on between NTM and producers and music people. And then I know that some years ago there was an effort to uh, release. I think it was the first season, and the rights were not uh, were not given at that time. So it was a watered down version of the music. And so this has been long forthcoming, and everybody has been anticipating it and hoping it would happen. I had almost given up hope because it was so complicated, but um, I am absolutely thrilled that the show is intact now and it can be preserved uh, for history because it really is an iconic uh, moment in television history, and I'm thrilled that it's happened. Well, it was, uh, I mean, it was really one of the, the touchstones of, uh, you know, I, I was kind of, you know, I was a teenager and getting into to high school. And so, you know, music and radio and all those things, that was very much a world that um, was opening up to, to me at that age. And I just, I, I laughed every week, almost <laughs> tears. It was such an incredibly funny show. And, I mean, that was a golden era for sitcoms, but, I mean, yeah. you know, for somebody who's really steeped in, in the sitcom and the three-camera thing from that golden era, we, all the different shows that you directed, what made this one so special? Why does this one stand out in people's memories? Well, it stands out in, in not only in my memory, but in my own uh, life experiences as a highlight. And I think it was because it was a combination of various factors. First of all, the, the characters were so 
iconic and appealing and and endearing and the um, it was a reflection of the sociology of the time and uh, and the thinking of the time and also underneath all that while uh, it was obviously very funny and and sometimes pushed the pushed the envelope that way it was always all the episodes were about something that was more than getting a laugh. There was some some theme or some aspect of our time that was being addressed, and it was um, pushing pushing people's um, attention span to think of things while they were laughing. I mean, I remember uh, the first episode I directed on WKRP was an episode called "Less on a Ledge." And uh, so I, I was going to get to that later, but go ahead. Yeah. And the reason, I mean, that, I bring that up because, I mean, when you think of it, of how long ago that was, that episode dealt with the fact that Les Nessman was being accused of being gay and he just couldn't uh, deal with it and was <laughs> went out on a ledge and had to be talked back in from from jumping and all done with, with brilliant humor and brilliant uh, character interaction. But that kind of thing was going on. And and then also, there is um, the, the characters were so so inventive. I mean, every one of them stands out as as a, as a three dimensional character that uh, was not seen before quite in that dimension. So anyway, there was a lot going on, but ultimately we all come back to the same thing in that the writing was brilliant. And it always has to start from there. Hugh Wilson created uh, a show that was literate as well as hilarious. And uh, the writing started everything. And the actors carried the ball from that point on. And we should point out, too, that Hugh Wilson, who created the show, is also the, the, the brain behind the Police Academy movies. Absolutely, uh, yes. So really uh, a comedy legend, both on the small screen and the big screen. Yes. You know, I, I, since you brought it up, let's talk about Less on a Ledge for a second. And, and, because, I mean, that was the third episode. That was the first one you directed. It was the third episode yes. ever. And uh, it, it, like every WKRP episode, it dealt with some very serious stuff, but it, 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 in, it somehow wove it in with all of this incredibly funny stuff. But the thing that's interesting to me about that is that sitcoms, very often, they take a while for the characters to develop, for the actors to sort of get acclimated to their characters, for the writers to get acclimated to what the, what the actors are bringing. And very often you will watch a show for a first season, and it takes a, the characters aren't fully fleshed out until maybe the end of that season or the beginning of the second season when everyone starts to fire on all cylinders. Does that reflect your experience in many cases? Most of the time, yes, and uh, th there are there are the anomalies, the rarities. WKRP was one of them. I remember Family Ties was another one where where the ca where the show seemed to to start out full blown, and I think that comes from from a very clear vision from the creator, knowing what this show was going to be about, not just a concept, not just an, an idea of what could be funny or funny people, but an, a, a, no, a notion that, uh, that he or she wanted to pursue with a long view of what the series is about. And I think um, that is... Uh, that is a bit of a long lost art and unfortunately in some respects right now it's beginning to come back we are seeing shows that are 
conceptual as well as just very funny. But I think that that is uh, that is where the longevity comes in my in my feeling that in my opinion that if there is a showrunner a show creator who really has a clear sense of what what this show is going to be about. Chuck Lorre writes that way, right. and Hugh Wilson, of course, and Gary Goldberg. And so, the, the, and the golden age, as you refer to it, of television was when, when there were, uh, I mean, there were literary people who were writing, and they, they had something they wanted to write about, in addition to being consummate uh, comic uh, geniuses. Because, you know, Less on a Ledge is one of the, I mean, I would say probably one of the five or six best episodes of the of the show. And it mm-hmm. came at the very beginning. And, you know, normally on another show, they might say, well, let's wait for people to learn who Les is and get acclimated to him. But but they didn't. That came right at the beginning of the show. And it, it starts it off on a bang. And then, of course, you know, Turkey's Away, the famous yeah. uh, Thanksgiving episode. And, and, and suddenly, you know, uh, 10 or 12 episodes into this show, everybody was on board. I mean, I remember watching it from the pilot and I was I was hooked it, it was amazing yes. well you know it's an act of courage in a way to do that to to give the audience not only the benefit of the doubt but the respect that they will get it that if we if we address if we write and talk about something that that really has a foundation in in the universal truth or universal uh, idea people will come to it but the key also is make it entertaining make it accessible and and it was it was very courageous of Hugh Wilson to 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 jump right in and say this is what the series is going to be about we're dealing with people with foibles with uh, with vulnerabilities as well as with looniness so much now, of the time let let's talk about the cat because this is one of the all-time great ensembles of all time. I mean, everyone on this show is funny in a very, very different way. When you were working with these actors, uh, w- talk about you know what what it what the process was like a little bit for you. I mean, Howard Hessman is still to this day. I can't even think about Johnny Fever without sort of breaking into laughter. Um, but you know, Herb Tarlick. I mean, the name Herb Tarlick. I just drop that on a certain generation of people, and they start laughing. They just start thinking of Blazers and Les Nessman. You know, Cotton Neal. I mean, so many things about this show. What was it like working with this cast? Well, it. So for me, it was a director's dream. It, it truly was. I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but it just was was a pure pleasure to go to the set every day because they were they were um, actors. They knew what they were doing. They were lovely people, and uh, they they it was a team. And the thing that was uh, very interesting to me is that just about everybody had a different way of working. And, uh, and so for me, as, as I was still a fairly young director, but, but uh, had done enough before that that I felt I was a bit on solid ground. But it was, it was a growing experience for me, too, to, uh, to learn how to work with different people, each brilliant in his or her own way, but coming in with a different methodology. I mean, Howard was so intuitive. And and uh, his work with with improv and all of that, but still he needed to be grounded in what this character is doing and talking like that. Uh, Gordon Jump, bless his heart, was uh, was just a, a, a sweet and dear man and just brought himself to the set. 
uh, Lonnie was, I mean, the character of Jennifer, I think the reason, one of the strong reasons for the success of that show was that it was one of the very early times that we saw a gorgeous looking woman who was probably the most intelligent one in that group. True. And to have that combination was not really seen very much at that point. You either had kind of the, the blonde, beautiful, decorative character, or somebody, if she was smart, then she was not somebody who, who was that attractive. But there you got both things, and this was a very calculated decision on Hugh's part. But, but in, in working with these actors, we all felt that we were working on a play each week. And so it was, it was it, building characters, building relationships, talking ab about how does the first scene relate to the last scene. And, and so it, it just was a very rich experience for me. You know, I've been, and I, obviously since we received the box set, I've been catching up on a lot of these episodes and just laughing myself to tears all over again and, and realizing how much funnier the show is still is than I even imagined in my best memories. Uh, and let's talk about some of your favorite episodes, because I certainly have some of mine. I Obviously, less on a ledge. Uh, yes. I, there's one later in the first season where uh, they, the Herb gets, as the, as the WKRP mascot, gets into the fight with the WPIG pig, which I just yes. think is absolutely brilliant. And then there's... Uh, there's one. I think it's the. I think it's a fourth season episode you directed where uh, Les uh, gets involved with the prostitution ring without really knowing it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, uh, these are these to me are just priceless, priceless episodes. What are some of your favorite episodes? Well, there were um, there were some episodes that kind of may not have been the uh, the, the most memorable or whatever but that that stand out of me. There was a, a two-parter with Johnny Fever who, who is, uh, he's thinking of leaving the station, going to another station and the bittersweet aspects of his leaving and then coming back. And uh, you mentioned the one about uh, the fish, the mascot. I mean, there's an interesting story behind that in that uh, I think at the time the show was, uh, there was, there was a lot of pressure on how, where to place it. It was moved around so many times and is it commercial enough as a this that and Hugh I think just kind of defied the the institutions and said okay I'm going to write what you would call a commercial show in the most blatant sense and and put the characters in in silly costumes basically like wearing a silly hat but even that with with her talik wearing a fish outfit and another wearing a, which would you would consider to be just pandering in the most base terms but again it's one of the most memorable shows because on the surface, it's that, but it's really dealing with something else underneath it all, something that has a little bit more substance than simply let's put on a funny costume. So this was a favorite show of mine too because of how you can how to balance these two things, that we're not just being silly. We're being funny, yes, silly costumes, all of that, but what, we, what is really underneath all of that? And uh, I'm trying to remember what there were so many of them. It's really hard to to select ones. But needless to say, less on a ledge will always be very very dear to my heart because not only was it the first one, but it ended up being such a such a memorable one that that it stands out for me well, in my own experience. 
I mean, certainly, that's a perfect example of what you're just talking about. I, I can't think of any other sitcoms other than perhaps All in the Family that did such an agile job of juggling the very funny with the very serious. You know, there were episodes that dealt with drugs, with infidelity, with yes. with a crime, with, uh, you know, all kinds of very, very serious issues, with homophobia, with mm-hmm. you know, all of these things. And yet at the same time that you're sort of being provoked to think about these things in a very serious way, you're laughing. And yes. I, I think, yes. uh, for me at least, it, it changed my mind that, that you don't have to run away from reality to laugh, that you can laugh and still be actively engaged in very serious subjects. And, and uh, that, to me, is, is the great miracle of the show. It, it really is extraordinary. I agree. And I think it elevates, and I dare say use the heavy words, but it elevates it to an art form. Uh, we don't usually think that in terms of sitcoms or television, but, but it really is the, this this uh, this balance, this very very delicate juggling act of uh, of saying something that resonates, but doing it in a way that absolutely entertains without without any reservations held. So so it um, it was a brilliant achievement, and we see that happening. When it does, we celebrate because it it is really a rare occurrence. Well, uh, Assad, thank you for talking to us. I think that's a perfect place to stop. It's a it's a just it's so so wonderful to have this show out again and available to everybody on DVD in its complete run with uh, with all the music issues resolved, so we can we can all kind of immerse ourselves in in one of the great sitcoms of all time. Thanks again for speaking to us. Best of luck with everything. Thank you. It is my great pleasure, and I hope people go out and get the set and uh, savor it uh, on and on, over and over. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank Thanks you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, and it's time for our first giveaway. Giveaway? First giveaway. Uh, now, this is actually a bit of an interesting giveaway. Uh, it's for something that's not out yet, and uh, it comes out on December 16th. So whoever wins this is not going to get it until after December 16th. We haven't seen the disc yet. We haven't even gotten ours. But we wanted to like, make something special you know, so that you will get this in time for the holidays. And uh, We can't guarantee that. Can we well, guarantee they can get it before the holidays? I can guarantee them that I'll, I'll let the publicist know they should get it before the holidays. Okay, guys, you're not going to get it before the holidays. So anyway, uh, we are giving away a Blu-ray uh, from Lionsgate Home Entertainment of The Skeleton Twins with Bill Hader and uh, Kristen Wiig. Good movie. Really good really movie. Really good movie. Surprisingly really good, movie. good. Like, where'd that come from? Uh, you know what? Uh, they are so good in it, obviously because they have a rapport from, uh, from SNL, but um, it's a really good film. I think um, it may be a little bit of, a, of an awards season dark horse if they get behind it a little bit. Um, I certainly, uh, you know, I, I think they should push it. I think she's wonderful in it. Bill Hader plays dramatic in an amazingly powerful way. A couple of dysfunctional um, siblings. Uh, with you know the, a little bit of a backstory, and they're both suicidal in their present day, and their lives are a little bit on on edge and falling apart. He moves in with her, and these siblings kind of try to put their past behind them. They've been estranged for years, and it's sort of trying you know people with lots of baggage trying to rebuild their their shattered lives. And it's funny, but it's meaningful. Incredibly well done. It's a beautiful movie. It's an absolutely beautiful movie, and we'll talk about it more, obviously, when, uh, when we get the uh, Blu-ray. But for the time being, that comes out on December 16th from Lionsgate Home Entertainment. And uh, we are giving away one Blu-ray. So uh, remember, with the giveaways this week, y- you can only win one. You can only win one. 
So uh, please, you know, apply for. Please, you know, send send us an email only for the thing that you want to win. Don't don't send it for the other giveaways. We have two other giveaways. So pick the giveaway that you want to be a part of, and then you will be in the pool for that giveaway. Don't don't send us an email requesting all three of them, all three. So in this case, anyone who wants the Blu-ray of the Skeleton Twins, go ahead and send us an email to gods at digigods.com. Put twins in the subject. T-W-I-N-S, no funny spellings, twins in the subject, and include your name and address in the, uh, in the body of the email. And we will select, uh, by the day after Thanksgiving, a winner. And uh, you, will, uh, you will be alerted uh, shortly thereafter, sometime around uh, the beginning of uh, the, the week after Thanksgiving. And, uh, as, you know, it, we're not going to be really, really firm on, on when we get this. We have to let the publicist know the Monday after Thanksgiving. So uh, what day is that, Mark? That's uh, the 1st, December 1st. So um, if you're sending us stuff on December 1st or after, we're not going to be able to let anybody know. But we will, uh, we will select a winner probably on the 28th, 29th, and uh, then we'll, um, you know, get you, uh, get you your Blu-ray of the Skeleton Twins uh, shortly after December 16th. All right, Mark. Um, yes, sir. What are we doing next? Next. Look at all those Blu-rays and DVDs we have to talk about. Uh, hold on a second. By the way, I got my Skeleton Twins screener in the mail yesterday. Did oh, you, you get did. yours? Yes. Did you get yours? I have not gotten mine. Now, this is the screener that comes to us uh, from the studios because uh, Wade and I will be voting in our Alaska year-end awards in a couple of weeks. And uh, Now, Wade, uh, why don't you tell everybody, why don't you make everybody jealous, or I can make everybody jealous, about the Fox party we're going to in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. So we are going to... Jim Giannopoulos is having a party at his house, and Mark and I are invited. And nobody else. It just Jim, Jim Giannopoulos is like, wait, Mark, love what you guys do. Come on over. So, so get this. So Come on by. We'll shoot some pool. So I probably shouldn't say this, but so uh, we RSVP for it. <laughs> and they don't give you the address until after no. the RSVP yeah. is received and accepted. So after the RSVP is received and accepted, then they send us Jim Giannopoulos' home address oh. because that's where the party is. Oh, they're going to regret that. So what does Mark do? He goes on Zillow.com <laughs> to see how much his home is worth and how big it is. <laughs> Don't I just and then sends me an email. X number, I of, did. X number of bedrooms, I X did. number of bathrooms. Yes, hysterical. I did. It was five bedrooms, five bathrooms, over 5,000 square feet. It was like $7.5 million. All right. So... Um, we got a few things we're going to mention as far as uh, you should be talking about this stuff. I don't know why I'm talking about it. But the, um, for, for Hanukkah, we don't often get anything for Hanukkah. It's like, oh, it's gift season, but everything is oriented toward Christmas. And it's like, look, a lot of people out there don't celebrate Christmas, but it's Hanukkah season too. So finally, here's something amazing for, uh, for anyone who celebrates Hanukkah. From uh, the wonderful people over at Sisu Home Entertainment, which releases primarily, you know, uh, Jewish-oriented and, and Hebrew-language stuff, uh, Shalom Sesame, which is the Israeli version, English language, of um, Sesame Street. And uh, it's fantastic. Uh, it, it, it's got, like, I mean, it's, it's basically Sesame Street, except with a Jewish orientation to it. Lots of great uh, guests on here, including, you know, Christina Applegate. Not and- Jewish. Deborah Messing is not Jewish. Yes, she is. Deborah uh, Messing. Yes, I have no idea. Christina Applegate's not, but you know, Eva Longoria, Jake Gyllenhaal. I mean, it's a lot of. Greg Kinnear even shows up in here. Did you know that Greg Kinnear showed up on Shalom Sesame? Don't you know everything that he does? Greg aren't Kinnear, you, not Jewish. Aren't you guys that tight? I haven't seen Greg in uh, five years. I know. 
Anyway, uh, it's really, really fun. Stuff in here like Monsters in the Sukkah, um, uh, Hanukkah, The Missing Menorah. You know, they, I mean, they really, it orients to, it's, it's, got, it's just wonderful. Um, countdown to Shavuot, uh, Adventures in Israel, all these things. It's Passover Grover, which is hysterical. It's Passover Grover. It really is How funny. How do you know it's hysterical? You, you, you don't know what Passover is. I love Passover. I love Passover, too. I do. It's good food. It is good food. It's great gefilte, food. Okay, uh, so gefilte I've been, fish. I've been to Seder's. Gefilte fish? Yes or no? Uh, no. Really? No. So good. But the but the, the that that relish? It's that relish radish. No, no, the relish, the like bitter herb relish. Oh stuff. yeah, well you you mean where they they, they chop up the walnuts and the uh yeah. it's good stuff. It's really good. I don't know why I can't have that year round. You can. There's no reason um, why I can't. And then uh similarly, we also have some wonderful box sets from Film Movement. Film Movement, one of the more innovative uh, companies out there. Um they put together some great box sets. And this one is Faces of Israel, uh, New Israeli Cinema. Includes four films, Campfire, For My Father, Seven Minutes in Heaven, and the wonderful, amazing the Human Resources Manager, which is really the, 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 the killer uh, title in this. Uh, this is, you know, really uh, shows you what's going on in Israel. Fascinating time to, to be a filmmaker in Israel. Um, another box set from Film Movement is Beyond Borders, Stories of Interfaith Friendship. This bridges us from Christmas to Hanukkah and everything else. Uh, three films here A Bottle in the Gaza Sea Arranged and Foreign Letters All three also absolutely excellent Really, really well curated boxed set And all of these of course have uh, short films uh, In addition to them I gotta say the, the, the one here that I thought was um, uh, That I, I really, really enjoy Is A Bottle in the Gaza Sea Which is um, you know a, a letter in a bottle Story about uh, A Palestinian man and a French-Israeli girl And it's just It's poignant, it's really powerful Beautiful film and then also from uh, Film Movement, uh, The Female Gaze, contemporary films by women from around the world. This is a box set that includes seven different films, all of them also excellent. So they're really they're picking the cream of the crop and doing some great box sets. And uh, women are doing well this season, by the way, as far as uh, uh, awards contention movies. Our sisters are doing it for themselves. Like, like, I mean, Selma obviously Selma's is, is, is in the Selma's buzz. Really good, um, but you've also got the uh, the Babadook, female director, that's right. Australian film. I mean, there's a, there's like a there's suddenly I like this season. I'm very aware of the fact that there are four or five films by female directors that are really in the mix, and it feels like it feels like the densest. You know, it feels like the the scales are balancing a little for a change. Uh, the films included here are Arcadia, Made in USA. M-A-D-E-I-N-U-S-A, all like one word. Watchtower, Foreign Letters, Queen of Hearts, Inshallah de Manche, and uh, The Forest for the Trees. Uh, so, you know, women are coming on, and we're, we're getting a little more gender balance as far as uh, making movies. From uh, Megahertz, who, does all the, who picks up all these great foreign dramas, uh, usually from Italy or France or Scandinavia, Borgen. We've talked about Borgen, which is kind of uh, like, um, you know, this, this political drama in, from Denmark. And uh, this is the complete series of Borgen, uh, all three seasons. Beautifully packaged, and uh, it's a really intense, beautifully made show. We've talked about it. That's a great box set. You know who else stars in that show? Huh. The Swedish Chef from I, the Muppets. Juiced. Okay. You knew I was going to say that. And then really quickly. Bork, bork, bork. He's yeah. my favorite Muppet. Some bread. <laughs> really was. You know what's funny about that? He's your favorite Muppet? Kind of, yeah. You know who my favorite Muppet is? Here we go. Who? Well, he, he works with the Swedish Chef. Uh, Beaker, the Beaker guy. Love Beaker, yes. love Beaker. Beaker just made me laugh. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. How do you, just being like puppeteering Beaker is the easiest thing in the world. You don't actually ever have to say anything. You just go. Boo, boo, boo. 
Anyone can do Beaker. Well, you ever wonder why Beaker talks like that? I, there's got to be some like meth involved or something. I mean, I don't know where that guy came from or if he went to school, who his parents were, what his past uh, was. He, who knows? But he talks like that for a reason. A little bit of British television here, by the way, too. Secrets of Iconic British Estates from uh, PBS includes uh, tours of uh, Highclere Castle, uh, Hampton Court Palace, and uh, Althorpe Ch- and Chatsworth. It, basically, this is all kind of you know from uh, the Highclere Castle. Of course, is where they shot down, where they shoot Downton Abbey, and uh, this comes with a, a lovely book and uh, four discs, and you get to just tour all these places that you will never ever see in person and probably never be able to afford unless you win every lottery in every country on the earth. But it's cool; they're really awesome estates, very old school. And then a couple of complete collections of British shows, both from Acorn uh, via ITV Studios, who. Previously, we mentioned uh, with the timeless release of uh, Secret Agent. Uh, Jeeves and Worcester, the complete collection. This has been out a few times before, but never in a case quite this slim. This is a wonderful, very compact case that shows you Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry way back when they were young, but no less brilliant. These guys have been on the ball for so many decades. And uh, P.G. Woodhouse created Jeeves and Worcester, and this is, uh, this is Jeeves and Worcester on television on eight discs. And the show remains wonderful, absolutely impeccably uh, funny. And then Murder in Suburbia, the complete collection. This is kind of like a Cagney and Lacey uh, in the uh, in the you know in the suburbs uh, of the UK. Uh, a couple of female detectives, and uh, it, you know it's it's a good show. It's a really good show. Um, that also is from Acorn. Four discs, the complete show. So, um, Mark. Yes, sir. I'm waking you up. All right. Here's what we can do. We've got. Wade's looking around. I'm looking around. He's deciding so what is I think piles. And, you know, we you have know what? giveaways. We have interviews. We, have, we have more DVDs and Blu-rays to talk about. So much, Wade. Why are you even hemming here's, and hawing? Here's what we're going to do now. Wow. Uh, let's talk about some books, and we've got some interviews hooked in with the books. So why don't we move to books for a I, second? You know what? I've been known to read the occasional okay. book. All now, right. we have, uh, I see we have books about uh, Woody Allen. Yes. Now, I was a big fan of his latest film, uh, Magic in the Moonlight with Emma Stone. Terrific. Kind of overlooked. Uh, not sure when Woody's next film is coming out, though. I haven't really heard anything about that. But um, we do have the ultimate Woody Allen film companion. Now, lots has been written on Woody Allen. And uh, the only reason why I, I'm never a fan of these, of these sorts of companion pieces is because by the time his next movie comes out, it is no longer, uh, you know, it's no longer definitive. But i got to say, this one by uh, Jason Bailey is just terrific. I also like the layout of it. It's not a, very, it's not a scholarly layout, which I like. It's got these, it's got these uh, sidebars and these uh, different colored pages and charts and graphs, and it goes over all of his films and has a bunch of sidebar articles about like the process and how he chooses his actors and how he directs and, and all about like all the different actors who starred in various Woody Allen films. He has like a rep, he has, like, a, a rep company, Woody Allen has. He's got people like Mia Farrow who starred like in a dozen of his films and he has like Alec Baldwin has starred in three of his films. And so the book goes over all of that. Uh, there's um, essays about Woody the Romantic and um, movies that he has starred in that he has not written or directed. And uh, it's great. It's a really interesting book. Um, it's pretty slight, but it's a great flip through. So I would highly recommend the ultimate Woody Allen film companion. I, I wouldn't call it ultimate or definitive, but it's still a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, we were going to have a perfect tie into that with something that's come out from Razor and Tie, which is a new CD of Woody Allen, The Stand-Up Years, which was supposed to be released this week. Turns out it's not coming out now until January, which is a bit of a bummer. But keep an eye out for that, something you might want to pre-order as a Christmas gift uh, or a Hanukkah gift. Uh, the, the Woody Allen, The Stand-Up Years is awesome. 
Uh, we oh, got- no, no. When I, when, when I was a kid, my father used to play me Woody Allen stand-up bits. Yeah. I mean, come, it was gut-busting. Well, we got an advance of that. And so we're going to treat you to an excerpt from Woody Allen, The Stand-Up Years, in commemoration also of this uh, fantastic new book, um, of one of Mark's favorite routines. I, I know which one you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Does it involve a, a, like a particular animal? It does. I shot a moose once. I was hunting upstate New York, and I shot a moose, and I strap him onto the fender of my car, and I'm driving home along the West Side Highway. But what I didn't realize was that the bullet did not penetrate the moose. It just creased his scalp, knocking him unconscious. And I'm driving through the Holland Tunnel, and the moose woke up. So I'm driving with a live moose on my fender. And the moose is signaling for a turn, you know? And there's a law in New York State against driving with a conscious moose on your fender Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. And I'm very panicky. And then it hits me. Some friends of mine are having a costume party. I'll go. I'll take the moose. I'll ditch him at the party. It wouldn't be my responsibility. So I drive up to the party, and I knock on the door. The moose is next to me. My host comes to the door. I say, hello. You know the Solomons. (laughs) We enter. The moose mingles. Did very well. Scored. Some guy was trying to sell him insurance for an hour and a half. (laughs) 12 o'clock comes. They give out prizes for the best costume of the night. First prize goes to the Berkowitzes, a married couple dressed as a moose. (laughs) The moose comes in second. (laughs) The moose is furious. He and the Berkowitzes lock antlers in the living room. They knock each other unconscious. Now I figure here's my chance. I grab the moose, strap him on my fender, and shoot back to the woods. But I got the Berkowitzes. So I'm driving along with two Jewish people on my fender. There's a law in New York State. Tuesdays, Thursdays, and especially Saturday. The following morning, the Berkowitzes wake up in the woods in a moose suit. Mr. Berkowitz is shot, stuffed, and mounted at the New York Athletic Club. And the joke is on them because it's restricted. Fantastic. That's some of the best material that anyone has ever performed before an audience. It's just great. Oh, it's great. And and also, while that was happening, my internet date for the evening just texted me confirmation that we're still on. Oh, wow. It's very exciting. That's good. Hello, sounds good. See you there. Great stuff, Wade. All right. So uh, let me blow through some other books real quickly. Um, We've got uh, The Anatomy of Fear, which is uh, Conversations with Cult Horror and Science Fiction Filmmakers by Christopher Vanderkay and uh, his wife, Kathleen Fernandez Vanderkay who are actually longtime uh, fans and listeners of the podcast. They've been with us for a very, very long time. And, oh my goodness, look what's here on the back of the, back of the book. It, there's a quote here. 
Um, a fascinating and compelling look at the creative process of filmmakers who are pioneering the horror genre into new and uncharted territory. Wait, wait, what is this? Uh, I can't. I can't. What, what, can you read the quote? Some I, some blurb whore named Wade Major. Oh yeah, it's weird. <laughs> So, anyway, no, this is a terrific book, and uh, we want to congratulate uh, uh, Chris and, and uh, Kathy for really putting together a wonderful collection of interviews. Um, the Anatomy of Fear, it's got a great, great cover artwork on it. They did a really good job. They did a really good job. So congratulations on the book. Uh, having done books as well, I know how difficult it is to get them off the ground and to make them good, and they did a great job. Really good job. And then we've also got um, The Bewitched Continuum, Mark. This thing came a few days ago. You haven't seen this. This is. I thought this was going to be like a hardcover book. It's not. This thing's like the size of a phone book, and it's soft cover. It really is, is the size of a phone book. Which is really – it's 600 pages. It's 600 pages on Bewitched. And it's not an episode guide. It's kind of an episode guide. But here's what these nerdy people did. Uh, basically, Adam Michael James is the guy who did this. And he's a continuity – Lunatic. I mean, he used to be do you know reading for for agencies and studios and whatnot. So anyway, he's he's obsessive about things. Clearly obsessive about Bewitched. What this does is every episode it annotates in several different several different sections um, how it connects with every other episode. For example, well, you know, clearly Samantha's in a bad mood here because three episodes ago she did a thing, and that thing clearly is still affecting her here, and then in the future, and so there's this. It, it, it creates the world by cross-referencing every episode, presuming that the writers, when they wrote this, were actually thinking, oh, we have to... But they, they Which don't. they were not. They were not. But it, it's amazing how thorough this is, almost to a psychotic degree. It, it's insane. I mean, no one would enjoy this unless you're a diehard fan of the show. So, do you remember that, uh, that documentary, the Stanley Kubrick documentary on The Shining, Room... Room three, whatever it was. It's almost in that. Is it? It's almost there. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's awesome. Uh, and then, hold on. Let me get to, uh, you know, I, I, I have no interest in, in this, but I'm going to mention it. Uh, we got this from um, uh, uh, DK Publishing and uh, in, in tandem with, you know, WWF or WWE, whatever it is now. Um, this is 30 years of WrestleMania. Does anyone who watches – do people who watch WrestleMania buy books? I can't imagine. Do they know how to read? No, I can't imagine them flipping through this. But Do they even have coffee tables? I don't know. Would they know. want this taking They'd up the space res- you know that what? their feet go on? That actually might be their coffee table. <laughs> they were to buy that, they would make that into their coffee table and put their beer on top of it. I guess. I just uh, – I, I can't imagine anybody who, who watches WrestleMania actually wanting a book. I, I just – but there it is, 30 years of WrestleMania – and uh, it's actually surprisingly literate for the audience presumably being targeted for this. I mean, it gives you a lot of really interesting information. It's very well put together and, and edited and great photos and whatnot, but it's just very strange. And uh, let's see. All right. And then now we're getting to uh, another one of our wonderful interviews. So Charles Solomon, colleague of ours in the Los Angeles Film Critics Association. I'm on the radio a lot with Charles. Charles is the animation guy. He is your animation go-to guy. Like Alonzo's the Christmas guy, Charles is the animation guy. Knows everything there is to know about animation. Extraordinarily encyclopedic uh, mind on this. I mean, it's just a wonder to talk to him. I learn something every single time. Being on the radio with him when there's an animated film out in a given week... Is, is, is extraordinary because all I can do is go on with the other critic and we go, yeah, I liked it or I didn't like it. And Charles comes in and says, you know, the animators who did this, they borrow the artwork and the artwork references this and the origins of the... And it's just, it's suddenly it's like I'm, I'm a student and I'm in school. It's an extraordinary thing. 
So Charles has written books before, um, the, the Beauty and the Beast book, a uh, book on, on Pixar. This is one of his best, and this is something I urge everyone to get, especially if you have kids. This is The Art of the Disney Golden Books. Now, I have a bunch of golden books for my daughter. We've been buying golden books for her. And on Charles's recommendation, mostly, you know, he says you got to get this and the saggy baggy elephant and yada 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 on and on, and it's like, okay, you're the man, and he's right. I mean, she loves all of them. The color kittens is so good. So Charles um, did this amazing book on the history of the Golden Books, which generations have grown up on, and it's wonderful. And I, you learn so much about the artwork and and uh, how they came to be and who was inspired by whom and what what artists did what and it's just it's it's fantastically put together and it is a gorgeous gorgeous book and uh we're going to talk to Charles in just a moment and and have him you know share all of his uh all of his extraordinary um uh the, the whole process of putting the book together but at the same time they sent me that they also sent me some other stuff which is worth mentioning so i'm also going to mention um this wonderful book Mark Davis Walt Disney's Renaissance Man this is uh, a, a book about one of the you know incredible Disney artists. And look at this, Mark. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? Gorgeous. Now, now was he one of the uh, uh, the eight wise men or whatever they called him? Uh, the 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 uh, the what old men? Um, not that I know of. Not that I know of. I mean, he basically he, he he's the guy who sort of created. The many of the characters that we know in the like Cinderella and a lot of the, I mean he was the guy who sort of gave them life. He's the design, the character design guy, right? And um, really kind of an unsung figure as far as I'm concerned. Like Cruella Deville is another one of his you know creations, and just an extraordinary um, artist. I mean you see, I mean look at the drawing here. This is like Michelangelo, right? Oh, it's beautiful. It's just amazing. You know the you you, you don't realize often. The, the effort that went in in these days, these pre-CGI days, the effort that went into conceptualizing what the, the characters in the... In he was. I, I looked it up. He was one of Disney's nine old men. He was one of the nine old men. Yes. Okay, good. So, um, anyway, just remarkable. Like, look at this stuff here with the, with the horse. I mean, look, like getting the motions of the horse right, you know, figuring out... It's just incredible. It's just incredible. You know what? Point that photo at the Mr. Ed uh, uh, DVD box set. Okay. And see if Mr. Ed responds. Uh, there, there you go. Anyway, it, uh, so what you, what you bet, basically get from this is that this is, this is a guy who, you know, without... I mean, he invented these characters. And, and the characters don't just come out of thin air. So for a lot of these movies, he's the guy. He was the go-to guy. Um, and then we also have The Art of Princess Mononoke. Uh, now, this is not a Disney uh, book per se, but this is, uh, you know, Disney... Um, Releases a lot of the Hayao Miyazaki films. Warner Brothers releases uh, a lot of Viz media stuff on um, uh, on uh, uh, DVD, and uh, this kind of goes in the same vein. Uh, this is wonderful. The Art of Princess Mononoke, a film which I was not terribly fond of in its dubbed version, like Billy Bob Thornton as a samurai, not great, but uh, that's wonderful. And then what Disney also sent was this over there. This is incredible. If you have kids, you've got to pick this up. My daughter fell in love with this instantly. Over there is this new... This is the one, uh, one of a series of books that they're doing with Pixar animators. They're basically giving Pixar animators the chance to illustrate their own children's books. As like a little like moonlighting thing. Like, oh, we, we love the work you did on that movie. You want to do a kid's book? Pick the story, write the story, work with somebody. Let's sort of, you know, do this. And this is the Pixar Animation Studios Artist Showcase. That's the name of the series. And over there is the story of this uh, this little shrew. 
this amazing little shrew and his friendship with a mole. And the artwork is magnificent. Steve Pilcher wrote this and, and illustrated it. And look at this. Look at this artwork. It's gorgeous. It's amazing. Beautiful, rich, lush. Look at the little greens shrew. and browns. Look at him. He's a little rubber band. Oh, stupid shrew. Oh, it's so sweet. He's an idiot. I mean, my daughter just grabbed this immediately. She saw the shrew, and she fell in love with it. And if you have kids, it's a wonderful little hardcover book. Um, it's called Over There by Steve Pilcher. And uh, it's fantastic. It's just absolutely fantastic. So that's from Disney Press as well. So with that now, are, are you raising your hand or are you just stretching? I'm stretching. You're stretching. All right. With that, we are now going to go into our interview with Charles Solomon on his book, his wonderful, fantastic book. The Art of the Disney Golden Books. And another fantastic guest for our holiday show. I am speaking right now with my good friend and frequent radio collaborator, uh, Charles Solomon, who is uh, arguably the premier expert in the history of animation. And uh, Charles, every time we're we're on radio, I I feel like I walk away uh, having gleaned some extraordinary little gem of information that I didn't know before. You're a wealth of information, and I want to thank you for that. Uh, thank you. I just wish it was a wealth we could take to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are one of the one of the things that we are uh, highly recommending for uh, people's uh, gift lists this season is your new book, The Art of the Disney Golden Books, uh, which I think is such an amazing. I'm, I'm kind of shocked that this hasn't happened before, because uh, even my generation, even before my generation, we grew up on these books. I mean, these books have have weaned uh, generations of adults and their parents and their grandparents. And yet I, I read this and I was stunned at how little I actually knew about the history of the Golden Books. Um, now, you've done a number of great books before on Pixar and Beauty and the Beast and things that are much more familiar. How did this subject fall into your lap? Um, it's actually uh, was a, a sort of a gift and a passion project from Ken Shu, who's an executive in Disney Publishing. He was the one who was watching, uh, I believe it was 60 Minutes one night, several years ago, and saw a piece about how the um, printing plant was closing in Racine, Wisconsin, that had belonged to Western Publishing for years through its various incarnations. And they were the people who had actually printed the little golden books. And he realized that in their warehouses, they might still have some of the original artwork and ran out, printed a letter on Disney stationery that had it, uh, took it down to Kinko's and got it on Dayglow paper and sent it to them to put up so they couldn't miss it, saying that any Disney artwork had to be returned owing to the terms of the contract. And they found more than 300 boxes. And yes, a lot of it was rubber bands and clips and bad drawings for coloring books, but there were also um, much of the original artwork from these books that we all grew up on that had simply been stuck in boxes decades earlier, stuck in a warehouse with no climate control, no temperature regulation, uh, probably no heating, and just left there. And miraculously, it's uh, almost all of it survived. Uh, I mean, it, the thing that I find so extraordinary is how many legendary artists um, either were involved in the Golden Books or, or sort of traced their lineage to, to the Golden Books. Uh, talk just a little bit about the, the how, how did the Golden Books begin? What was the, the, the origin of the Golden Books? 
Um, well, they began when, uh, I believe it was an, uh, an executive at Simon & Schuster realized he needed, they wanted an inexpensive picture book for children. Uh, the story is that his daughter, who was like two or three, had taken an expensive picture book and dumped it in the bathtub. Uh, something as a father you can understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so got the idea that these would be uh, small books and they would be inexpensive books. And Disney already had a relationship with Western publishing. They started doing um, the Mickey Big Little books and some of the other Disney publications. It was a very mutually profitable and successful relationship. And so finally, during the 40s, Disney started doing them as well. And the night, as, as I'm sure you remember, one of the nice things about Golden Books is because they were small, they were light, they were cheap. So you had an ownership of them in a way you might not, uh, a big expensive picture book that you had gotten for your birthday. You know, a Golden Book was a quarter or 75, yeah. so, depending on when you grew up. So if you drew in it or you played with it in the bathtub or you built forts out of it for your stuffed animals, uh, that was okay. It was yours, and you wouldn't get in trouble for that. But it was also short enough to be convenient to read aloud to a child as a bedtime story. Um, for a child who's learning how to read, again, they were short and clear and simple. Uh, that he could, It was something when you were learning to read, you could master. And as you say, the illustrations were by some of Disney's great inspirational artists um, you know, who were doing these, these little paintings that were so extraordinary. And uh, I believe it was John Hench who did many of the really classic ones said that, you know, if you were doing the book for Walt, you couldn't do what just anyone would do. You had to do something special. So if you look, say, at uh, the version of Peter Pan that he did, the artwork sort of folds around or wraps around the text the way an illuminated manuscript would. And if there's uh, an illustration of the sea at the top, there'll be seaweed maybe trailing down and a pearl necklace lying on the ocean floor with a fish looking at it. Hmm. So just these little touches to make it a little more special and to hold a child's interest. Well, I mean, it, it's certainly, I'll, I'll tell you right now, it's, uh, you recommend a whole bunch of them to us uh, when my daughter was born, and it is, it is a nightly uh, ritual now. I mean, she just pours over them, and she loves them, and things like even the color kittens, which you had recommended, is, it just, it's enthralling, and, but it's enthralling to me, too. I mean, it, it goes to the root of what you and I have always talked about with great animated films. One of the qualities of really fine illustration is that it does cross, say, a generational gap or an age gap, um, the colors and the shapes and the relationships in those illustrations are so strong and so clear and so attractive that you recognize that at any age. As an adult, you can look at it and say, you know, you, can, you, you admire it consciously and are realizing what a charming illustration in the case of the color kittens that was done by uh, Martin Provenson and his wife, who had done inspirational work for Fantasia. He had designed uh, the Sorcerer for the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, but for the color kittens, he's doing something much simpler, much clearer. You know, the two little kittens, Brush and Hush, and their gray overalls are appealing and charming. They're very feline. And that's done by someone who can take gouache, opaque watercolor, 
and translucent watercolor and lay them down so surely that, you know, the shape is there, the color is right, everything is there. And if you make a mistake in gouache, you start over. There's no way to erase it. Uh, you can't paint over it. It has to be perfect. And those artists, people like the Provinsons, like Mary Blair, like Gustav Tengren, could go in and lay down those washes and then take a dry brush and just add a little smear of color over the surface to give it a texture or a shadowing or a feel of light falling on it uh, in a way that's enormously subtle yet so effective because these people were so good. You know, they had gone to some of the finest art schools in the country, come to Disney where there had been more classes, more training. So they were very, very polished artists, uh, you know, basically hot-dogging and showing up, hey, I can paint this like, you know, you won't believe. <laughs> wow. You know, you're, you're going to laugh at this too, but the, uh, I, I have for certain coffee table books... Um, you know, there, there are coffee table books and then there are coffee table books and there, there are the ones that no one ever looks at. They just sit there and usually it'll say something on it like, uh, you know, uh, I images of uh, Yosemite or something and no one ever actually opens that. Because, yes, right. It's, it's, who cares? But, um, then there are others where I, uh, I still have a collection of white, um, cotton gloves that I used in film school for editing when we edited on f actual film, you know, so that when you're handling the film. Spicers. <laughs> yes, and so I, I have certain coffee table books where I don't want to get finger grease on the pictures or on the pages because it's so beautiful. And, you know, some of those are the Taschen books like the Kubrick archives and the Ingmar mm -hmm. Bergman archives and I, I realized very quickly when I opened yours that I wanted to put my white gloves on because the artwork is so beautiful and the reproduction is so extraordinary. Um, so your, your book now goes into the white glove club as far as my coffee hey. table books. Um, so that's tell me a little, treat me. <laughs> well, that's how, that's so, how anal retentive I am. Well, also remember, as we, we were saying earlier, um, the golden books were cheap. That was part of the, the point of them. So they weren't printed all that terribly well and they weren't printed on good paper. And another appeal of doing this book was that we could print it better and use better paper so that you could appreciate those illustrations for what they were. Uh, but, you know, we weren't, we weren't putting together a book for children necessarily, ideally a book that children and their parents uh, would share. Of course, the other thing that makes those books uh, so magical for people of our age, our generation, whatever, is that we have the memories of you know, our parents reading to us from them. You know, I remember many happy hours with my mother reading to me from golden books. And as I was learning to read, you know, reading back to her and feeling, you know, very important that now I could read and I could read to her. And so we have those, you know, those very special moments that were so essential to our childhood. And now with your daughter, you're creating those moments again in a few years She'll start to read, and she'll want to read to you from those. And so uh, the, the torch sort of gets passed on. And how, long, you know, how many things can we share with children, our children, our nieces and nephews, or friends' kids, or you know, with our memories of our parents that way? It's very true. Uh, you know, as we kind of wrap this up, tell me just a little bit about putting the book together because, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I've done uh, some books as well and I remember it, it dealing with the, 
the artwork editors at the publisher was always a bit of a nightmare and everybody getting on the same page. And I look at this and just knowing what goes into a book like this, as seamless as it looks when you're leafing through it, I know that the logistics are sometimes a nightmare. This, this looks like it was probably an enormous effort to have to really put this thing together. I, I know they gave you access to a lot of great material, but how, how difficult was it really to, to sort of, uh, you know, make the sausage, as it were? Um, that was surprisingly easy because um, we had Wendy Lefkan, who's in charge of Disney Publications. We had Ken Shu, and we had my editor, Jessica Ward, and the, um, the book's designers, the, uh, I believe it was the Kabayashi brothers again, who've done so many of my books. Uh, uh, yeah, it was Clark Wakabayashi. Uh, everybody loved this artwork and wanted to get the very best of it. And the, really the only uh, problem we had was there was such a wealth of material that, you know, well, if we take this out to put this in, then what do we have from that book? And, you know, we need something from this illustrator. Well, does that mean we lose one from that illustrator? So it was a bit of a balancing act, but everyone was so enchanted uh, with the artwork and there was so much of it that uh, that was much less of a problem than it ordinarily would have been. Hmm. Well, Charles, it's a, it's really a wonderful book, and I, I highly recommend that everyone, whether they have children or not, whether they, they have any golden books in the house or not, I mean, they, they need to get this. It's just a, it's a, it's a wonderful history that uh, I think has gone unacknowledged for t- far too long, and you've really put a spotlight on something very culturally precious. So thank you, thank you for that. And before we go, uh, since this is the holiday season, what there are some great animated uh, box sets out there we're, that we're recommending as well. There's you know the uh, the Looney the ongoing Looney Tunes Golden Set and the the Tom and Jerry uh, collections. What uh, what for people who are looking for some great animated DVD collections? What kinds of things uh, would you recommend that they put on the gift list? Well, let's see. Um... There's the now four-disc set of the complete Betty Boop that uh, right. all of friends have been putting out. And those are wonderful prints. That's uh, a set we've wanted for a long time. You know, with that, uh, there were recently set uh, two sets of the UPA films. There's one of the Mr. Magoos, and there's one of the Jolly Frolics that has films like uh, Rudy Tutut and Gerald McBoing Boing and the Unicorn in the Garden, uh, Giddy App, all those classic UPA shorts. Those fill big gaps uh, in what was available in animation. The one we're still missing is a good anthology, The Silent Felix the Cats. Mm. Don't have that. Um, Coming out um, from Disney are Blu-rays of Princess Mononoke and Kiki's Delivery Service, two amazing films from one of the greatest directors ever to work um, in animation. Uh, For uh, there's the How to Train Your Dragon 2, a terrific movie uh, that's coming out in an elaborate Blu-ray set. For people who have older kids who are thinking of, um, like, teenagers who are into anime, there's everything from the first Dragon Ball movie in 17 years, Dragon Ball Z, The Battle of the Gods. Mm. Uh, there's the third of the four features Hideaki Anno is making of his uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion series. He's remaking it yet again, and everyone's waiting to see if there's an ending this time. (laughs) Um, 
There are also a couple of, um, oh, for, for little girls, there's Cardcaptor Sakura, which is an absolutely charming series about a little girl. We, we talk so much about wanting positive role models for children, and particularly for girls in animation, and that usually means bratty and smart-mouthed in this country. And in uh, Sakura, she's a very shy little girl of about eight who inadvertently loses a pack of magical cards on the world. And this little magical creature from the cover of the book they came out of tells her, you now have to become a card captor and recapture them or they will do mischief. And she says, no, I'm just a little girl. I, I, you know, I'm not good at math. I don't like to do this. But over the course of the episodes, you see her grow stronger and learning to use the cards against each other and uh, just gaining in strength and assurance and capability. And it's a very charming uh, and I think a very good film uh, for girls. There's also the wonderful Knockabout uh, Wizard series fairy tale that's very popular with teenagers. You're going to come across as a cool aunt or uncle if you get that. And that's fairy tale T-A-I-L, we should, yes. we should point out. Yes. Yes. Very off the wall and fun. And there's also uh, completely off the wall is uh, The Devil is a Part-Timer in which Satan is thrown into contemporary Tokyo and has, has, loses his powers, has no money, and has to take a job working at uh, a fast food outlet. It's fantastic. It's so wonderfully silly that you know, we would never do anything like that, but the, you know, the Japanese will. Fantastic. Well, Charles, thank you so much for talking to us, and we wish you all the very best with, uh, with sales of the art of the Disney Golden Books going forward, and um, have a very, very fantastically happy holidays. Uh, and to you, and thank you. Thanks, Charles. All right. So, uh, you know, Charles, he's, he's the man. When it comes to animation, he's the man. And as long as we're talking about animation, Mark, what, 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 what animation might people pick up this season that's new to, uh, or relatively new, or even highly recommended? Well, of all the things I, uh, I watched, uh, uh, let's, let's go from the classiest to the least classy. All right. Let's do Looney Tunes Platinum Collection Volume 3. Now, this is on blue right now. As you know, Warner Brothers has been releasing in dribs and drabs some of their classic uh, Looney Tunes. I wish they would do like a whole big box, a big honking box set. Next Christmas, maybe. So here we have Looney Tunes Platinum Collection Volume 3. This is great stuff. It also includes an all-new documentary called That's All Folks, which is great, and a 12-page booklet. Uh, but you got Daffy, and you got Bugs Bunny, and you got uh, Sylvester and uh, Porky Pig. So all the classic Looney Tunes folks, two-disc set. You got to love it. It's uh, Looney Tunes Platinum Collection Volume 3. Then we have a couple of uh, lesser characters from the Hanna-Barbera Collection. Hanna-Barbera, of course, uh, one of the great uh, TV producers of uh, animated uh, shows, at least of my youth. We have a, uh, a character here who I didn't even remember until I was vaguely reminded in the DVD called Loopy de Loop. Now, Loopy de Loop is, was a French-Canadian wolf. And, oh, of course he was. And his whole thing was that he wanted to change the reputation of Canadian wolves around the world from, you know, the fact that people are scared of them and they're mean into the fact that they're uh, lovable people like uh, Loop-de-Loop. And so that was his mission in life. So, Of course I, it was. <laughs> so Loop-de-Loop, it didn't really <laughs> like go Casper, anywhere. Like Casper? Hi. I guess. It didn't really go anywhere in life. And, uh, in life. It didn't really go anywhere. I, actually, I didn't go anywhere in life, as we're now proving, but... <laughs> The show didn't go anywhere, 
But uh, still, you know, it's uh, it's interesting stuff if you want to really go way back into the Hanna-Barbera vaults. The other Hanna-Barbera show, which we have the complete series of, which was a little more popular, was called Shirt Tales. And Shirt Tales is about it. There was a panda and there was a tiger. And they have this uh, this secret, which is that there's, a, there's like this purple mushroom. And oh. whenever the purple mushroom starts to flash, they... They become these like superhero characters. I get the purple in quotes. The purple mushroom. Yeah, where they wear these T-shirts with their names on them, and yeah. so it was really for kids, and it was a little ridiculous. I was not a fan of um, some of the Hanna Barbera animation was pretty good uh, for the time for TV, but some of the lesser characters like the Shirt Tails and Loop De Loop, the animation was really not that inspired. But um, you know what? Your parents may know it from their youth. So we have Hanna Barbera Shirt Tails, the complete series, and Loop De Loop, the complete collection. Then we have Adventure Time. Um, now, Adventure Time is a weird little show. It's got very uh, rudimentary artwork, but it's interesting stuff. Um, I can't say I really groove to the show all that much, but I have to say that uh, Cartoon Network, you know, they, they greenlight a lot of interesting shows. They really let animators kind of run wild, and that's kind of gotten them a bit of a cult following. So um, if you get this Adventure Time uh, Set you do get a little backpack that's inside. Oh, goody! More so, backpacks like the uh, Transformers backpack. So it <laughs> exactly. So it does become a bit of a gift, like a Christmas gift, appropriate. So there's 16 episodes, and uh, you know, again, this show isn't really for me, but um, if you're into it, definitely worth a shot. Also, uh, Wade, you took from me the Batman one that I thought was really good. What'd you oh, do with it? Oh, the Batman one. I like the Batman one. I'm just trying to manage our our, uh, our materials here. Assault on Arkham. Now, over yeah. the over the years, Arkham Asylum has become like this really major, you know, location Batman lore. There's like video games based on like I've played the video game where Batman goes through Arkham and you know runs around and tries to you know beat gets beaten up and beats up guards and tries to you know it's really good. Uh, and now we have a movie based on that called Assault on Arkham, and this is this is. Kind of adult stuff. Uh, you know, I got to say, they do a good job with this, uh, some of these DC does. And um, so it's on Blu-ray. It's also on DVD and uh, digital HD. So, uh, yeah, it's all Assault on Arkham. This is good stuff. One of the better ones in the series. The animation is very stylish, and I totally dig it. Um, so go for that one. Yeah. I have to hold these out. Farther than I normally would because I don't have my glasses. Oh, see? Because I won't let you stop the recording. These are new glasses that I'm wearing. Uh, These are I, progressives. Wh- I can now what, what see far. Be- they're a little bit like bifocals except like better so I can look through the top and I see far and I look down below and I can read. How is that different from a bifocal? Well, it's not. It's just called progressive. Yeah, you know what that means? It's <laughs> called progressive, which means they get to charge another 150 bucks for the frames. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows how much I love Mystery Science Theater, and everyone knows how sick I am of these Mystery Science Theater box sets. Not because they're not great, but because how many of these can I own? Uh, I don't know. But this one's Thanksgiving-themed, right? It is Thanksgiving-themed. This is uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, Collection 31, the Turkey Day Collection. Yeah. Four previously unreleased episodes, plus new intros by Joel Hodgson. And uh, they have you know Thanksgiving bumpers and uh, Thanksgiving marathon interstitials and all this crazy stuff. So... The movies here include uh, Jungle Goddess, The Painted Hills, Squirm, and The Screaming uh, Skull. Um, all I care about usually are the shorts. I have to say, I really just care about the shorts. Yeah. You know, uh, look, if, if you're a MST 3K completist mm-hmm. like I am, uh, 
I will have this and I will enjoy it. It'll yeah. probably sit unopened in my <laughs> in my <laughs> shelf because I want to have them all. But it's like, how many of these can you watch? I don't know. Anyway, we love Shout Factory. We love MST. So uh, I would definitely check out 31 uh, Tur- uh, Turkey Day Collection. Uh, we also have... Um, whoa. I just uh, bumped the mic. Yes, you did. Now Tinto Brass is a uh, is a director that we've talked about. Um, he basically he, he you know Italian director of uh, Caligula most famously, but he basically made movies in which lots of topless Italian women walk around in garter belts with no no underwear. And they do in this and set. <laughs> Tinto Brass, maestro of erotic cinema. Now now I'm not saying it's not erotic, but you have to understand what. You have to understand the the definition of eroticism at the time. Yeah, it's not. This is not pornography. This is uh, really just women walking around it's, with like waka waka music. And uh, I, I think I think it's stuff. Just, I, I I don't it's like, like it. It's like Emmanuel. It's you know sophisticated softcore is what it is. But well, it, there's four films here: Cheeky, Black Angel, Private, and uh, Mon Amour. And because this one, presents him as an auteur, it's a little bit more legit. So someone won't be upset if you get this. Well, maybe they he will. is not an auteur. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, he's he, he's got he's 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 got a thing. You know what I mean? He that thing Blu-ray. made him famous. Blu-ray, but it's a Blu-ray, and it's got a, a, a new transfers from a lot of these movies because a lot of these movies are pretty old. Um, I mean, not pretty old. I mean, they're about 10, 15 years old. But um, still, uh, there's a documentary on here. The, uh, there's photo galleries. There's making of featurettes. So I don't know that Tinto Brass really is the Hitchcock of erotic cinema, which is what he calls himself. But um, I don't know what to say. I don't know what that means either. And for the first time on Blu-ray, Elvis, that's the way it is. Two disc collectors set. Uh, This was the you know the original uh, 2001 uh, release of Elvis. That's the way it is on DVD. Now out on Blu-ray, along with uh, 1970s uh, Elvis on uh, the second disc. And uh, it's if you've never been an Elvis fan, this will make you one. If you are, you will just be absolutely elated. Um, this is the uh, basically going back to the Elvis performances from 1970 at the International Hotel in Las Vegas. And uh, this is you know Elvis from the jumpsuit era, the Elvis with the with the gold chains and the uh, the chorus behind him. And it's just great. And this thing comes in the in the usual Warner Brothers um, uh, Blu-ray book styling with the forty-page book that uh, has all these great photos. It's just wonderful. So somewhere there's somebody who's a, an, uh, has their Elvis, their inner Elvis impersonator that's uh, really, really just going to love, love that. And then also, uh, as far as long as we're talking about the, uh, we we're talking earlier about great boxed sets, like great design of them with the uh, the Wonder Years. This is almost the same as the Wonder Years. And uh, for the sports fan, Mark, dig this. This is almost like that locker. It's essentially the same form factor. Hold on. Ah, look at this thing. If I threw this at you, we would have no more show. It would kill. It would kill. Here is another locker, a fancier locker. Ooh. Right? 30 it's for 30. 30 for 30 from ESPN Films. Uh, if you've been watching the, the 30 for 30 documentaries, I mean, you know what these are all about. These are just amazing. You open this thing up, and there you and go. And there's DVDs, Wade. Why do they make the locker so beautiful, but they give you DVDs? There's a shirt in here, too. That's very disappointing. Fifth anniversary collection, and it's just, you know, it's like it's a locker. There's all this stuff in it. It's just great. This is really great. And these are, these are fantastic shows. Um, ESPN has some of the best sports documentary people on the planet. They really do. Oh, well, the 30 for 30 series is very highly respected. It's, it's so good. It's and they also so get, they, sometimes they get pretty famous people to direct those. I know. It's not just done by in-house no, 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 uh, no. people. No, no, not at all. 
So anyway, the uh, this is the the thirty for thirty series in this amazing locker packaging. Uh, if you get this and the Wonder Years, you can put them both on the shelf, and people will just be in awe at how you have two lockers filled with DVDs. <laughs> Either in awe or possibly possibly uh, the run screaming the run in the other direction. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right, wait. Well, here's the thing: is that uh, I had a couple notes on uh, this one, but I could read them because I need my glasses. You know what the sad thing about needing? Yeah. You know what the sad thing about glasses are hmm. is that when I put them on, I realize I need them. I know. It's really it deflating. Sucks. It, it sucks. Well, Which with means these... now there's something else I have to carry around all the time. Yeah. Well, anyway. Anyway. All right. Well, I, I did all that because I wanted to talk about the definitive World War One and World War Two collection. Now, uh, this is 20 discs. Now, you got to understand, folks, um, this is all stuff that's been out before. Mm. Uh, we have the World Wars, 100 years of World War One, 75 years of World War Two. There's also the HD series, World War Two and HD, World War Two and HD, the Air War, and uh, World War Two and HD, Iwo Jima. Um, the Color of War, I thought was pretty interesting because, again, there's a lot of uh, color footage that came out later in the war. Um, so that's great. And Patton 360, I was a huge fan of. I like that one, too. But... Um, this is all in one gigantic box set, 20 discs, um, 44 hours of stuff. I'm sure that the war buff or the uh, dad or uncle in your family probably has some of these. Maybe you've gotten it for them over the years. But um, what I would do is I would sneak into their, I would sneak into their um, cabinet, grab all the ones that they've gotten previously, go to a record store or eBay, sell them back, get a couple bucks in cash, and go out and buy this one. Because this is pretty much the last word. Because, you know, History Channel, they just don't stop. I mean, they come out with so many of these. Uh, but this seems like the last word. There's 20, 44 hours of stuff. Um, I like the World War I stuff because I know a lot less about World War I than I do about World War II, like most people. So the, um, this three and four, 100 years of World War I, that's the one that I like. Plus, the, the villain was a guy named Kaiser. Nice. So that's why I like nice. it, too. So this is uh, definitive. Again, wish it was Blu-ray. It is not Blu-ray, especially the uh, the HD ones. But uh, what are you going to do? This is uh, the definitive World War One and World War Two collection. All right. So it's time for the Christmas movies, and we're going to go through this as quickly as possible because these things come out like fast and furious. They really do, and most of them are straight to video, or they do them on television for a Lifetime or something. A lot of kid stuff in here too. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to roll through these as quickly as I can. Um, uh, here's, the, here's the really junk stuff first This is, uh, let's see, we have a reality show Or some crappy TV show, we gotta do something for Christmas And it's strictly for fans Duck Dynasty, Duck the Halls Are you kidding me? Uh, come on, stop, it has an unlock code for the Duck Dynasty video game I guess if you're a fan You know, they, they, they find a way to, to milk that for everything they've got um, Even worse Here comes Honey Boo Boo, a very boo Christmas Well, it's, I don't well, know who's going to buy that now The show's been cancelled <laughs> And uh, the mama's like a dating a child molester and, Oh my uh, gosh, is there is there anything less Christmassy now? now in the wake not, of that news? I'm very surprised Actually, I'm surprised that they didn't just pull this Well, they didn't, it's out there I mean, you know, so I'm sure they figure somebody's going to buy it uh, Pawn Stars, a very Vegas Christmas special Oh yeah, that's, that'll, that'll put you in the mood to buy gifts um, this anyway, this has this has all the guys from uh, you know Pawn Stars, Counting Cars, American Restoration, all that all that tattooed blue collar. Let's go weld something for Christmas stuff. Um, if you, you know, there's always a Christmas horror film or two. And to all a good night, 
with Jennifer Runyon uh, is on Blu-ray, and uh, you know, uh, I don't know. It's it's a it's a Christmas horror film about a crazy slasher Santa Claus, uh, just like all the other ones, you know, Black Christmas and Silent Night, Deadly Night, and they've you know, there's a million of those, and they're all kind of the same. So, so if that's your thing. Also, a, uh, on Blu-ray and on DVD, I Am Santa Claus, uh, distributed by Morgan Spurlock, uh, but directed by Tommy Avalone. This is basically about a, guy, a bunch of guys who belong to um, a, an organization known as the uh, Fraternal Order of Real Bearded Santas, otherwise known as Forbes. F-O-R-B-S, the Fraternal Order of Real Bearded Santas. Good. And you find out that there are a whole bunch of really freaky dudes who do Santa Claus. Like one guy's on welfare the rest of the year, and another guy is like a, a bear icon, right? He's, he's like, a, like, a, like a gay icon in gay calendars, and you get a photo shoot with him naked in a bathtub with his Santa Claus beard. It, it's basically supposed to convey to you the amazing diversity of the guys who play Santa Claus. Really what it did for me was think, oh my gosh, I'm never taking my child to a mall ever to sit on Santa's lap. You haven't done that yet? No, not yet. We were going to do that this year, but this this scared me because I was like, these guys, this is like one guy's a biker and another guy like, it's just, it's, they're, 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 they're kind of a creepy bunch. These are guys that really have no lives other than pretending to be Santa Claus for one month out of the year. That's I bet, really I bet they're alcoholics and child molesters too. I'm sure. Sit on my lap, little Timmy. Tyler Perry's Medea Christmas, the movie. You know what? That's all you need to know. It's just. It, I feel I've seen it already. <laughs> it just that phenomenon just will not go away. And then, of course, for uh, Tyler Perry fans who want to add a little something, there's a Hell Hath No Fury, like a woman scorned, the play, which is also out on DVD, just so that you have something that's not Christmas themed. Um, this is wonderful. Uh, Irving Berlin's White Christmas. There we go. There you go. Uh, I really, I just, this movie is always fun to watch. And uh, Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye, and uh, along with Rosemary Clooney and Vera Ellen. And uh, this is the Diamond Anniversary Edition. And Paramount has done a wonderful job with this four-disc set uh, which on Blu-ray, which includes a uh, 12-song Christmas CD, which has, you know, Danny Kaye stuff and Rosemary Clooney and Bing Crosby stuff. Uh, Jingle Bells with Danny Kaye and Peggy Lee. It's fantastic. Uh, so this is this is just beautiful, and this is uh, this is being released in honor of the um, 60th anniversaries of White Christmas and Danny Kaye's appointment as a UNICEF first will uh, first uh, very first uh, goodwill ambassador for UNICEF, and uh, there are donations that are going to be made to UNICEF uh, when you buy this. So you know there's a it goes to a good cause as well, and Danny Kay, you just can't go wrong with Danny Kaye and Bing Crosby, for my money at least. Bing Something. Crosby especially. Yeah, yeah. He's an icon. Uh, not everybody loves that movie, though. I'll tell you. Not everyone loves that movie. Uh, a King Family Christmas. This is uh, four holiday specials from the King Family, who doesn't do them anymore, but I grew up on these things. So you get a couple of Thanksgiving specials and a couple of Christmas specials. And, uh, of course, the King Family was one of those staples at the time. They just their Christmas special, always, always really uh, a holiday treat. Here's another, here's another must-get. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the Rankin-Bass special. It's 50th anniversary, collector's edition. It's been 50 years since this thing was made. Awesome. And it still kills. It is still awesome. It is still as wonderful as it always was. And my daughter's going to be watching this very soon. Once Thanksgiving's over, 
It's nonstop. It's all the Rankin Bass stuff. It's the uh, it's the uh, the uh, Frosty the Snowman, which is also Rankin Bass. It's the Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah. All that stuff. She's going to start getting the dose of everything from from yesteryear. You betcha. It's wonderful. I uh, can't wait for you know her to like start singing. Put one foot in front of the other. From uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. It's great. So anyway, this has all uh, sing-along songs and a uh, great little pop-up book included. It's just fantastic. So that's the 50th anniversary of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And then real quickly, Cartoon Network Holiday Collection. A bunch of things from Cartoon Network, uh, from Adventure Time and The Amazing World of Gumball and uh, a couple of bonus episodes from uh, some other shows. Kind of throwaway thing. Uh, also for the kids, Power Rangers Megaforce Robo Night Before Christmas. Are you kidding me? Um... Uh, Mira Sorvino, Ed Asner, and Drake Bell do the voices in Frozen Time, which is a cute little animated ditty. Uh, this is from Arc Entertainment. It's only 46 minutes long. I wouldn't call it a Christmas classic, but it's, uh, it's you know, diverting for the kids. Uh, the Garfield Holiday Collection is uh, an exclusive for people who shop at Walmart, which is probably going to get boycotted pretty heavily for Thanksgiving from the sounds of it. Really? Why is that? Uh, it's just people feel like, you know, they, they owe Walmart workers a... a you know they're gonna they're gonna pick at them and say you need to pay your people better and not work them for forty eight straight hours over Thanksgiving or something. Oh, that thing. That thing. I think that Walmart workers would go back to work if they promised not to stock this movie. Because <laughs> Garfield be. is terrible and all the Garfield movies are well, terrible. This, I'm this, sorry. This has Garfield Christmas, uh, Garfield's Thanksgiving, uh, Garfield's Halloween Adventure, Dud. Garfield on the Town, and Garfield Dud. in Paradise. Dud. Mark hates Garfield. Uh, cats don't eat lasagna. I mean, how does that? <laughs> what, what does that do with anything? I don't know. Uh, Santa's Magic Toy Bag uh, is a little thing that was fr- is from the people who created ALF on television. It's a new little animated special with uh, basically, you know, trying to do a, a new puppet special with Santa as a puppet and uh, his elves. And it's, it's okay. Um, it, it's not, I wouldn't call it brilliant, but it's, uh, it was done roughly around the same time as ALF. You know, it was like early 80s. So you feel like they were definitely trying to capitalize. Uh, Alpha and Omega, a holiday adventure on Blu-ray and DVD with Ultraviolet uh, for people who love the Alpha and Omega uh, movies. Tickety Talk, uh, Christmas present time. Uh, Tickety Talk isn't something that I'm enormously fond of, but the animation certainly does lend itself to doing something that feels kind of holiday-like. So you get uh, a number of episodes here, including Christmas present time, winter time, snow time, igloo time, and leaf sweeping time. And then Julius Jr. is a show that I just really, uh, it creeps me out a little bit. It's like, it's like Adventure Time. The animation's wrong. But he's a monkey, and this is called Julius Jr. Snow Monkey Adventures. Comes with a little toy Julius. So if you have a child who, who wants a little toy Julius, this is, this is all right. This is, you know, in the season and comes with a toy and uh, has six episodes, and uh, it'll keep them busy. Um, and, Mark, I think now would be a good time for us to throw, before we finish off the Christmas stuff, Let's throw to Alonzo to tell us, uh, to share some of his Christmas expertise. Happy holidays, everybody. This is Alonzo Duraldi, author of Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas. Uh, In thinking about movie trivia, which certainly fans of films like to get into and figure out all the little interlocking secrets and uh, weird little fun facts, there's definitely no shortage of that when it comes to holiday movies. Uh, For example, take It's a Wonderful Life, that American favorite. Um, Of course, Thomas Mitchell plays Uncle Billy in the movie, but did you know that he originally auditioned to play Mean Old Mr. Potter? He eventually lost that role to Lionel Barrymore, of course, but then Lionel Barrymore was famous for playing Scrooge on the radio every year, so it seemed like a natural fit. 
Of course, Henry Travers also appears in that film as George Bailey's guardian angel Clarence. Uh, George Bailey, you'll recall at the end of the movie, runs past the uh, local movie theater and yells, Merry Christmas, movie house! And uh, on the marquee is the Bells of St. Mary's. Well, that might have been an inside joke, because Henry Travers actually stars in The Bells of St. Mary's as the mean old rich guy who the nuns, led by Ingrid Bergman, eventually convinced to donate property so that they can build a new school and convent. Uh, we think of Bing Crosby as the king of Christmas movies, but I would make an argument that we might, he might have passed that crown along to John Cusack, who stars in three very different holiday films. Uh, first of all, Rob Reiner's The Sure Thing, a um, It Happened One Night uh, style uh, comedy about uh, two college students hitchhiking across country, hating each other and then falling in love. Cusack later starred in Better Off Dead, uh, a movie, a, a dark comedy about a high school student who threatens suicide when his girlfriend dumps him. Much of that film is set at Christmas and contains some very memorable holiday set pieces. And most recently, he was in the exceedingly dark comedy The Ice Storm, opposite Billy Bob Thornton, one of the last films directed by the late Harold Ramis, which is set entirely on Christmas Eve, but it's about as bleak as holiday stories get. You might check out all three of those. They're a lot of fun in very different ways. If you haven't already, please pick up a copy of my book, Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas. It's currently available at Amazon.com and wherever fine books are sold. But if you'd like to order a copy directly from me, which I'd be happy to sign and send off wherever you want, uh, drop me a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com for a personalized gift-wrapped copy that can be sent to anyone in the United States that you'd like to give the gift of Christmas movies to this Christmas season. And if you're in Los Angeles on Wednesday, December 3rd, Frank DeCaro of Sirius XM Radio and I will be hosting an evening called A Movie Little Christmas in Tinseltown. We'll be showing clips from our favorite holiday movies and TV specials, and we'll have special guests like uh, the ref screenwriter Richard Legravenez and Bruce Valanche, who wrote the infamous Star Wars holiday special, to talk about their Christmas memories. More information can be found on that program at outfest.org. Merry Christmas, everybody. All right, and there you have it. And you know what? Uh, I, every time... I get some Christmas trivia from Alonzo. It's the same thing with like animation stuff from Charles. I feel like I'm in school again and I'm learning all kinds of cool stuff. So Alonzo, is the, he's, the, he's the man for the holiday season movies. He really is. He knows it all. So we want to uh, give our shout-out and our thanks to Alonzo for that. And with that, we are now going to carry on with the remainder of the Christmas movies and our final two giveaways. Mark? Well, well I'm excited. Yeah. Do, do, wait, can, can, can I apply for the giveaway? Yeah, well, if you want. Oh, that's you mean. Got, uh, I would never do that. I know. All right. All right, first up, we have got an evergreen Christmas, and uh, we're going to be giving away three of these. Uh, this came to us from the, uh, the good people at ARC Entertainment, and uh, it's, this is really sweet. Uh, it's got a great cast, which includes um, Robert Loggia, who's, you know, who's done everything uh, under the sun, uh, Tyler Ritter, uh, Greer Grammer, Boo Boo Stewart, and Naomi Judd. And uh, this is just one of those really, really sweet uh, new seasonal Christmas uh, things from Evergreen Productions. They made it. Arc Entertainment is releasing it. Uh, totally family-friendly through the whole thing. And it's about a woman who returns back to her small Tennessee town and uh, where her family has this Christmas tree farm because her father has died. And uh, there's you know all this stuff that's happening now in the settlement of the estate, and it's putting a stress on the family. And uh, as with all Christmas movies, all holiday movies, you know, the idea is how does the season sort of redeem you and make everything okay? And it's, it's really nicely put together. It's a good cast, and it's a really sweet film, uh, especially if you want to see, you know, beautiful uh, Tennessee uh, environs. It's all put together very, very nicely. So an evergreen Christmas, and we're giving away three of those. Send us an email to gods at digigods.com. 
gods at digigods.com. Remember, you can only enter one of the contests, so don't enter all three. Only enter one. And just put green. Just green. Green in the subject. Put your name and your address in the body of the, uh, of the email. And we will select three very lucky people to receive this. And uh, you know, as long as we as long as we get them by uh, let's let's say the 29th, I'll, I'll give people until Saturday. If you're you know you got a Thanksgiving hangover, so sometime uh, get your emails dated on the uh, on the on the 29th, and we'll we'll pick our winners then. Mark, do you ever watch the Hallmark Channel? Why in God's green earth? Because you know what the the Hallmark Channel, there are all these TV movies that star like you know Jenny Garth and. These, you know, sitcom actresses who were like, you know, hot and young and pretty in like the 70s, but uh-huh. now they're like just eking out work. Yeah. Hallmark Channel, they got you covered. Well, they got them covered with Christmas movies, too. My goodness, they got a lot of stuff. They got their holiday collection, uh, signed, sealed, delivered for Christmas with uh, Eric Mabius and Kristen Booth, a royal Christmas with Lacey Chabert, Stephen Hagen, and Jane Seymour. Uh, the Nine Lives of Christmas with uh, Brandon Routh. Gosh, he was Superman once. Uh, <laughs> and by the way, he was a good Superman. There's nothing, nothing wrong with him. And Gregory Harrison. Well, now he's doing the Nine Lives of Christmas. Uh, David Hayden Jones, Alan Thicke, and Aaron Krakow in a cookie cutter Christmas, which is kind of embarrassing, but you know you, you can live with it. And then the Christmas ornament with Cameron Matheson and Kelly Martin. Uh, and Alicia Witt and Mark Wiebe in a very merry mix-up. Oh, it's so funny. It's a very merry mix-up. It's a mix-up at Christmas time. It's a merry mix-up. There's nothing funny about it. Uh, nothing whatsoever. So anyway, this is their, this is all part of the the uh, Hallmark countdown to Christmas. It's just they crank this stuff out, and they're all okay. They're not brilliant, but you know, I mean, I I, I watched a few of them for a few minutes. They all have kind of the same it's general. For, you know what? It's for fifty fifty five year old women who live in trailer parks. Who uh, sit there with their like with their ice cream, their dryers? Yeah. And you go, when in Hallmark films, I love them so much. Yeah, when, honey, when you go to Walmart, pick up maybe see if they have one of those Hallmark movies in the in the uh, discount bin. You like Bell? You like uh, uh, dogs? Doggies. A uh, Bell for Christmas. So dumb. This Christmas is all about puppy Stupid love. Stupid dog. It's a dog movie with Haley Duff and Christy Swanson and Dean Cain. Uh, I went to school with Dean Cain. Nice guy. Dean Cain also does a lot of crap. He does. He was Superman once, too. I know. That's the curse. <laughs> um, this is actually kind of cute. A, uh, when Santa fell to Earth. This is, uh, this is not bad. This is from Anchor Bay and Stars. And uh, this is really cute. Uh, some really good kid actors and Santa crash lands. And it just gets better and better from there. That's actually not bad. Um, uh, John Denver's uh, The Christmas Gift. This is obviously from quite a while ago because John Denver's been dead a really long time. But they re-release this every year, and uh, this was like mid six, mid eighties uh, that they made this, like eighty five, eighty six, and uh, it's you know John Denver is associated with snow because his name is Denver, and he made Christmas specials and Christmas movies, and that one comes always comes back around. Uh, here's a couple other classics too: the Thanksgiving Treasure and the House Without a Christmas Tree, both on one set. Jason Robards. Uh, always a, a wonderful, wonderful presence, and uh, this is good. This is really good, so I'd, I'd definitely pick this up. Uh, it's a good one to have around. Uh, Happy Christmas. This one, I don't know that anybody's really going to... This is a bit of a problem. Uh, this is Anna Kendrick and Melanie Linsky and Lena Dunham in a movie called Happy Christmas from uh, Joe Swanberg. And I'm not a fan of Joe Swanberg. I don't really like his movies. I think they're all kind of hacky and thrown together. And this is a very weird, awkward cast. And it just doesn't feel very Christmassy. 
So if you're a fan of Joe Swanberg and his whole kind of, uh, you know, he's sort of like the, 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 the uh, mumblecore guy who's not a mumblecore guy. Yeah, he branches out into more, uh, you know, more traditionally scripted entertainments. Yeah, well, anyway. Uh, Lifetime holiday trip will feature a country Christmas story, The Twelve Trees of Christmas, and Kristen's Christmas Past. Say that ten times quickly. Uh, Three-film collection, if you like the Lifetime approach to the holidays. Uh, from the, the Little House on the Prairie, um, the original series, the, a couple of holiday specials here, A Merry Ingalls Christmas. If you just don't want to get the whole show, right? You get just get that one. Uh, Lost Christmas, another dog movie. The Miracle of Holiday Magic. This has Eddie Izzard in it, of all people, along with Jason Fleming and Larry Mills. Um, Eddie Izzard, there's a guy who does weird stuff. And he's never played Superman. <laughs> it's very strange. Uh, a Star for Christmas is a Christmas romance. It's, it's okay, you know. Uh, Dear Santa... With uh, with you know um, Tatiana Ali, Jordan Sparks, and um, Ernie Hudson, huh? Ernie, Ernie Hudson. Hudson. He's been interviewed a lot for the uh, 30th anniversary of whatever it is of Ghostbusters. The Ghostbusters yeah. Right. And he he was saying how his part was like it was a big part. He was one of the in the original script. Yeah. He was one of the original Ghostbusters. He joined the group along with everybody else. Yeah. And then he gets to set and he reads the new pages and it turns out he doesn't show up to like, you know, 20 minutes into it. But, he's, it. but he has some great lines. Oh, he's great. He is great. You know, and yeah. he said Bill Murray was very protective and Bill Murray yeah. wound up giving him some lines that, that was for Murray. Yeah. Like when, at, you remember at the end after the big fire, he goes, I love New York. That yeah. was for, I love this town. Yeah. That was given to another actor, one oh, of the other Ghostbusters, great. but then it was given to Ernie because it's like, hey man, you know, let's that's give it great. to Ernie. That's great. Good for them. Ernie's great. Um, and then uh, North Pole uh, is um, like as one word. This has uh, with Tiffany Thiessen and uh, Bailey Madison and Robert Wagner. And it's, it's a, you know, Jill St. John's in this too. That, it's a cute little kind of fantasy thing, you know. Uh, but but it's, it, it kind of stretches it a little bit. And then uh, Oh Christmas Tree with Sarah Lancaster and Eric Johnson. Uh, this is kind of a, another one of those kind of cheesy Christmas romances. And then, of course, my favorite... Peppa Pig, Peppa's Christmas. Uh, Twelve episodes, including the Christmas episode, Peppa's Christmas, which is just so much fun. It has like great Christmas music, and it's got the, a whole different intro to it. And my daughter can't get enough of Peppa Pig. Uh, she cries if Peppa Pig isn't on. She just loves Peppa, the whole world of Peppa Pig. So, good stuff. Uh, so, that uh, that's there as well. And now, for our final giveaway. Mark, you're going to love this. So, we just mentioned four of those. And we're going to give away a package of the Nine Lives of Christmas, a cookie-cutter Christmas, a royal Christmas, and signed, sealed, delivered for Christmas. All four of those to one person. Nine Lives of Christmas, a cookie-cutter Christmas, a royal Christmas, and signed, sealed, delivered for Christmas. All four. That package goes to one person. You can only enter one giveaway. So uh, if you want the four Christmas movies in one package, one person wins that. Send an email to gods at digigods.com. And uh, put four F O U R in the uh, in the subject line. Just F O U R. It's all we need. Four, and your name and address in the body of the email. And by uh, the weekend of the 29th, we will uh, 29th and 30th. If you get it to us by the 29th, we'll pick that weekend, and then we will uh, get that off to the powers that be uh, on December 1st. And uh, you should have your four Christmas movie DVD package sometime before the holidays. 
fingers crossed. If it comes on New Year's, don't blame us, but I will do my best to impress upon them that they need to get these out to you on time. Uh, all right, Mark, we're, we're closing in on the end of the show here. That two-hour show, wait, it's like a bonanza. It is. It's fantastic, ben- right? And we still have Leonard Malton to come. I know. Right? Yeah, let me tell you something. I, we're saving the best for last. We sure are. Because we love Leonard. Leonard's a man. Um, all right, a few other things here. Branching into classic movies. We got a ton of classic movie suggestions for you for your, for your gifts this uh, season. Some wonderful stuff that uh, is coming out right now. Stuff that's recently come out. Stuff that's just themed perfectly for the season. Um, Mark, you want to start us off? What if I don't want to? Maybe you should. Okay. Well, because you said so. Uh, we have some old stuff. We also have some modern stuff. Let's do the uh, modern stuff first. Uh, actually, two of my favorite Robert Altman films. Uh, on Blu-ray, The Long Goodbye. One of my favorite Robert Altman films. This is uh, his um, sort of uh, you know, modern updating of the uh, Philip Marlowe you know, aesthetic, where we have um, uh, Elliot Gould playing Philip Marlowe as this, uh, this disheveled guy who just like, walks up and down the halls of, uh, walks up and down the aisles of uh, supermarkets wondering where he can get food for his cat, while also uh, dealing with this, uh, this other case regarding uh, Sterling Hayden and uh, Nina Van Paladin. I, I never saw her again. I don't know who, who that was, but she was great in the movie. So it's a really good, it's a really good film. It's uh, very cool. It's got a, a couple of uh, featurettes on it and five radio spots for some reason. But uh, it's a great... You know what? Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's new film, Inherent Vice, is definitely a uh, kind of an homage to The Long Goodbye. Is, I still have to see that. I know. You haven't seen yeah. it yet. But uh, it's great stuff. It was, the, the screenplay was written by Lee Brackett, who, of course, also had a credit on Empire Strikes Back and also wrote The Big Sleep. So it's fantastic. I love The Long Goodbye. It's a great film. Uh, also, one of my favorite Altman films, Thieves Like Us, with uh, Keith Carradine and Shelley Duvall. It's about these uh, bank robbers um, running around Mississippi during the Depression. This is um, around the 1930s. Keith Carradine's great. Uh, um, Shelley Duvall was always sort of a strange-looking young lady, but, um, and she looked strange when she was young, too. But she's the same Shelley Duvall, of course, from The Shining. And here we have an audio commentary from uh, director Robert Altman, so that's definitely good. He's very uh, forthcoming about how he casts his movies and how they're made. So uh, this is good, too. Thieves Like Us, one of my favorite Robert Altman films. So two good Robert Altman films um, on Blu-ray. Witness to Murder is also on Blu-ray. Barbara Stanwyck and Gary Merrill are in this. This is a uh, good film. It's one of the... It's a, it's got that interesting, cool noir thing. It's like it's got great noir lighting because it's about this woman who she's trying to convince the police that she saw a murder, you know. And so uh, that's kind of how it starts. But it, it's a little similar to Rear Window, and uh, it's good. It's a good film called uh, Witness to Murder. Gotta love that. Sean Connery and uh, Trevor Howard in the Offense. This is one of the. Uh, this is an interesting film from Sidney Lumet. Sidney Lumet. Uh, obviously, as you know, was very much about uh, you know the gritty streets of New York and crime and morality and that kind of stuff. And here he works with Sean Connery, which is kind of a different actor for him to work with, but it kind of works. Um, Connery plays a he's a British uh, detective, and he's you know hanging out in New York. And so uh, it's a good film. Trevor Howard's good in it. Pocket Full of Miracles with Glenn Ford, Betty Davis. Um, this one also from Kino, directed by Frank Capra, who of course directed. Um, uh, yeah, everything. Everything. It's a Wonderful In- Life and um, all sorts of other things, including the next thing I'm going to talk about. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, good stuff. It's it's funny and whimsical and cool and very uh, very Christmas oriented. Uh, pocket full of miracles. 
And as long as we're talking about Frank Capra, uh, we want to uh, make mention of this amazing new Blu-ray release from Sony. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Obviously, everybody's going to be watching It's a Wonderful Life again this season. But um, you know what? One of Capra's best films, maybe even his best film for, for my money, is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Uh, Jimmy Stewart just kills it. This is sort of considered the quintessential American political movie. Um, every time election season rolls around, how many people say, where is our Mr. Smith? Uh, it, it's just absolutely wonderful. The average guy who uh, is selected to be a political pawn and turns out to be this pillar of integrity. And um, it's really, it, you know, you learn a lot about the American political system from this film, it, the way it's integrated. It's beautiful. And this comes in basically a Blu-ray book thing. Uh, they re- they've remastered this recently in 4K, and this Blu-ray is a downconvert from the 4K. And it is gorgeous. It is just spectacularly beautiful. Comes with ultraviolet if you want to carry Mr. Smith around with you. And uh, let's say you get elected to Congress and you want to, you know, pull up the ultraviolet on your uh, on your phone and show it to people and say this is what you should be behaving like. It's all great. Tons of special features. Commentary by Frank Capra Jr. Uh, Frank Capra's American Dream, the feature-length uh, documentary that was hosted by Ron Howard, is on here as well. That's worth its, uh, uh, you know, you could buy. That's like two movies in one. And then a whole bunch of featurettes that are just wonderful. Give a you know little family reminiscences and uh, and look in the. It's just wonderful. It's really great. So that's a Blu-ray book style, Blu-ray release finally of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. One of the best things you will have have available all Christmas season. Um, a bunch of stuff now from Twilight Time. The latest Twilight Time releases uh, for the holiday season are superb. And every single one of these, remember, you can only get them by going to screenarchives.com. And they are, there, are, there are only 3,000 a piece of these. So when they're gone, they're gone, as they say. Uh, Judgment at Nuremberg, great movie. Such a great movie. Uh, this thing's gotten a little unfairly maligned in recent years because Stanley, it's like hip to make fun of Stanley Kramer now because he was so on the nose and he was so issue oriented. But um, this is a great movie, 1961, uh, a, a, an award winning masterpiece about the Nuremberg trials. And it's just, it's a, an all star cast and you, it just, it's classic Hollywood stuff at its best. The Oscar nominated. Um, uh, Yoji Yamada Japanese film The Twilight Samurai which was one of my favorite films of that year uh, from 2002 really really good now out on Blu-ray I think this is a really interesting selection for Twilight Time this is uh, you know a, a, a total surprise from the Twilight Time library but I think a really really good choice a film you may not have heard of When the Wind Blows this is from the 1980s it's an animated film about a British couple dealing with the uh, a, a nuclear holocaust and it's it's chilling and touching and frightening and hilarious and it's so good, it's mind-boggling. And I'm amazed that this film kind of has fallen off of the the radar a little bit. It's um, a little you know it feels like a little bit of British animation, a little bit of anime. Uh, it's really really good. It's really good, and that's on Blu-ray as well. I I highly recommend that. You may not think a, a nuclear holocaust movie is what you want to watch for the holiday season, but trust me, this one you do. Uh, distinguished by a really good script, uh, co-written by Nunnally Johnson, is the Don Siegel western Flaming Star, starring an unlikely Elvis Presley as uh, someone who's half Indian and, and uh, half Caucasian. And uh, it's a, it, not bad. Uh, it's got a commentary by uh, Nick Redman and Lem Dobbs. Lem Dobbs, of all people. He's listed here as a film historian. It's Lem Dobbs. He's a filmmaker. He works with Soderbergh. Yeah, he's Lem Dobbs. He's a screenwriter. He's, he's directed, too, hasn't he? Didn't Lem Dobbs direct something? I thought he directed something. Mm, well, look that he up. Wrote he yes, wrote Kafka. He wrote Kafka. And the Limey. And the Limey. 
So anyway, uh, here he's just playing the role of film historian, and uh, that, again, for the people who uh, can't get enough of Elvis. And uh, Bunny Lake is missing. Uh, is, uh, it ages well, I think. This is an Otto Preminger film from uh, 1965 and uh, with Laurence Olivier and Keir DeLay and uh, Noel Coward in one of his final performances. And uh, you know what? I mean, this is... Uh, well, it, the, the, this has, you know, Preminger during that time, this has a certain amount of historical significance because at that right. time in the early to mid-60s, yeah. Preminger was almost single-handedly, of course he wasn't, but almost single-handedly making the production code completely ridiculous. That's true. That's true. Because he would do films like this and The By Moon the way, is Blue. He's so good on Batman when he plays Mr. Freeze. Those, would, there were three different guys played Mr. Freeze, but he was the best. He was the best. Wild! Like Anatomy of a Murder, Moon is Blue, Bunny Lake is, Bunny missing. Lake is missing. That's all that stuff. They just yeah. chipped away at the production code. Totally true. So anyway, uh, and of course, uh, really, one all of these have isolated score tracks, and that's a particularly good one. And then the last one here, just because it kind of dovetails with something else, is Birdman of Alcatraz, uh, with a wonderful performance by Burt Lancaster. This is uh, still, you know, one of the great films of the era from 1962, same year as, of course, Lawrence of Arabia, and um, it's great. It's just really great. Uh, beautifully, beautifully, fantastic score by Elmer Bernstein, which is fantastic. And one of the best films that John Frankenheimer ever made. And uh, that has nothing to do with Birdman, the, uh, the Michael Keaton film from uh, <laughs> Gon- Gonzalez and Yurito, which is getting all, all the Oscar buzz, which is like your favorite film of the year so far. That's my number it? one so far. There you go. Uh, right. Wade, uh, do we have any... any wait, we are, no, go ahead, we, fire we, off. Okay, we have My Man Godfrey. This is one of the great uh, screwball comedies of all time from 1936. We have uh, two sisters going on a scavenger hunt, scavenger hunt, like this elaborate scavenger hunt as part of like this big, you know, big high stakes party. And they wind up running into a homeless guy played by William Powell. And they bring the homeless guy home. He winds up becoming their butler. And uh, it is so funny. It has just got so much energy to it and hilarious. And it was nominated for six Oscars. You can't beat that. My Man Godfrey classic. Carry on. And uh, also from uh, Film Detective, we have The Stranger. Now, I'm surprised this did not come out um, via a bigger distributor, to be honest with you. But uh, this is uh, Orson Welles' I believe, third film. One of the last films that uh, he did where you got, a, you got a sense of this is the actual film he wanted to make. Yep. Um, and, of course, that wound up changing a lot as his career went on. But this is a really interesting noir thriller. Uh, Orson Welles, it's uh, about a Nazi who disguises himself as a high school teacher. And uh, it's really good. Edward G. Robinson is great in it. And um, Wells, of course, plays the, uh, plays the Nazi. And, uh, yeah, really good stuff. Stranger is good. Overlooked Wells. Finally, we have Kansas City Confidential. And um, this is a really overlooked noir. This is fun stuff. It's about these uh, bank robbers. They rob an armored truck. And then this delivery driver winds up taking the rap for it. And he's got to figure out who is framing him. Uh, it's kind of a no-name cast, at least as far as we're concerned, directed by Phil Carlson, but really good noir stuff, man. This is fun. Kansas City Confidential from 1952. Awesome. And uh, then we've got a, a few here from the Warner Archive Collection. Uh, another Blu-ray, a, a surprising choice for a Warner Archive Collection Blu-ray, as they often are, frankly, uh, which is a good thing. They always surprise me. I'm like, wow, that's really an interesting one choice for Blu-ray. Uh, Jack Webb plays Pete Kelly in Pete Kelly's Blues. Uh, a, a fantastic uh, Warner Color Cinemascope production that uh, has kind of been from you know the the early part of the the um, widescreen era from 1955. I mean the, you know that was like the last year that a non widescreen film won Best Picture. The next year it was uh, it was around the world in 80 days. So this is uh, 
this is really pushing the envelope as far as widescreen and music, and it's all about uh, Pete Kelly, who was a, uh, a coronetist for uh, the Kansas, in, uh, you know, uh, in Kansas City at the height of the jazz era, and uh, really a pretty a really sharp film, very much ahead of its time. Uh, you know, Jack Webb directed this and really proves himself. You know, you realize, wow, this guy's a talent. You suddenly understand why Dragnet was, you know, a big deal on television. It's really, it's a sharp film and a historically significant film and uh, really beautifully done. So uh, Janet Lee, Edmund O'Brien, Pe- Edmund O'Brien, Peggy Lee, and of course Jack Webb in Pete Kelly's Blues. And then uh, other Warner Archive releases include the uh, Martin and Lewis Collection, Volumes 1 and 2. Tons of great Jerry Lewis and uh, Martin, uh, uh, Dean Martin stuff on here. Um, six discs. Actually, seven discs. I'm sorry. Seven discs on these two different volumes. And, uh, you know, Hollywood or Bust is probably my favorite of all of them. But uh, it, it's just, they're all fun. They're all really, really fun. So uh, you can really surprise a, a Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin fan with the volumes one and two of that. And then there's a couple from the... Uh, just the, the when things move from the silent era to the sound era, we've got a couple of really interesting films here, uh, also from the Warner Archive collection. The Cossacks with John Gilbert, uh, which is a really slick production. I mean, you know, directed by George Hill, uh, very, very early sound uh, production based on a novel by Leo Tolstoy, and uh, this is just really fantastic. And then the wonderful Colleen Moore in Why Be Good, uh, an old Vitaphone First National picture, which uh, just, you know, just gets you so nostalgic about what movies were at that time. It's pre-digital, pre-computers, and they're telling these great stories. Uh, and then here's one that you shouldn't let slip by. Uh, Warner Archive, of course, comes out with a number of titles every, just about every week. Uh, and it's very easy to miss this John Gillerman film called The Day They Robbed the Bank of England. It's very easy to go, oh, yeah, uh, you know, whatever it sounds, you know, John Gillerman, he, he directed a bunch of stupid movies in the 70s like the King Kong remake and some other stuff. Who cares, right? No. Do you know why this movie's significant, Mark? Uh, because it has a yellow cover? No. This movie featured a very young stage actor in its cast by the name of Peter O'Toole. And it was while he was watching this film that director David Lean who had been looking for someone to play Lawrence of Arabia and had given up on Marlon Brando and basically had given up on Albert Finney, said, that's my guy. That small part that Peter O'Toole had in this movie changed his life because based on that, he was cast as Lawrence of Arabia, introducing Peter O'Toole. This is the movie that introduced him. But Lawrence of Arabia got an Oscar nomination, superstar. The rest is history. Yeah, see, well, now they're all dead. See, so it didn't really help at all. Oh, I guess not. And, oh... Um, I want to put, do a big shout-out right now to um, Flickr Alley. Flickr Alley is a, uh, a boutique, as long as we're talking about silent films and early films. Flickr Alley does a primarily silent stuff, but also film hist- historical and archival stuff. Flickr Alley has some unbelievable titles that we've got to do a shout-out to. Um, this is great stuff. Film history stuff, silent comedy. If you, want, if you really, really want to impress somebody... These things are not necessarily on everybody's, you know, uh, top radar with all the, when Lord of the Rings and all this other crap and the Hobbit and everything else comes out. This is the stuff that you should be focusing on. The Max Senate Collection, Volume 1, 50 fantastic classic Max uh, Senate uh, shorts with some great bonus materials on Blu-ray from Flickr Alley. Hilarious and wonderful. Uh, the late Matthias Pascal, 
uh, is a French silent film from Marcel Lherbier. And uh, this is part of the Black Hawk Films collection. This is also on Blu-ray. This is a, this is a very influential film. Uh, really cool and highly stylized. The amazing Robert Flaherty film, Nanook of the North, considered sort of the original documentary. Um, Robert Flaherty staged a lot of this very famously, but nonetheless, this is a two-disc Blu-ray deluxe edition of that film, which also includes The Wedding of Apollo and other films of Arctic life. Um, Beautiful, beautiful transfer on on all of this stuff. That one especially. I just could not believe how pristine it looked. Um, The Lon Chaney Hunchback of Notre Dame, also on Blu-ray from the Black Hawk Films collection. Another fantastic transfer. Uh, as much as I love the sound version of the of Hunchback of Notre Dame, man, Lon Chaney just kills it in this. It, it, this is just terrifying. I mean, this is absolutely so haunting. It's like I can't, I can't even look at the, the, the book now without suddenly seeing images from this thing. 1923, uh, truly a silent masterpiece. Um, the one that just is so important are the uh, Chaplin Mutual comedies, which have been out on DVD for a long time. But uh, these are all now remastered from 1916 and 17 on Blu-ray. Thank you, Flickr Alley. What an incredible job you've done. Uh, this comes in a gorgeous tin. This thing would be such a fantastic gift. Anybody who loves Chaplin and doesn't realize that Chaplin's on, out on Blu-ray, and especially the Chaplin Mutuals, um, this, is, this is like the best thing that they could open on, on Christmas Day. It's amazing. Beautiful transfers. And not on Blu-ray, but uh, really important to have on uh, on DVD because this is not available anywhere else. Are the 34 films that comprise uh, Charlie Chaplin's days at Keystone and uh, doing the Keystone comedies? And this is a crucial piece of Chaplin's career to understand. And uh, this comes in a wonderful four-disc set on DVD. Hopefully, will be on Blu-ray at some point soon. But if not, it certainly uh, does not look shabby here. It looks great. And then lastly, uh, uh, courtesy of Flickr Alley and Twilight Time, we are now celebrating uh, Cinerama. And we're getting very close to the, uh, the anniversary of Cinerama and uh, a rather significant anniversary of Cinerama. And it was, you know, people forget what an amazing format this was at the time. The, uh, what it, you know, the curved screen and the multiple cameras and all of this stuff. So uh, we have a couple from Flickr Alley here are Seven Wonders of the World. And Search for Paradise. I mean, these things are basically travel logs. And those are just unbelievably gorgeous. Beautiful Blu-ray transfers, the way they are meant to be. Get them up on the widescreen. Show people how amazing Cinerama was, even if it's not sort of true Cinerama. It's as close as you're going to get. Better than IMAX, I might add. Screw that IMAX stuff. Cinerama was where it's at. And tons of bonus features here. I mean, there's even one in here that's, that's like uh, going around L.A. It's an old Los Angeles uh, uh, documentary, a Cinerama documentary of touring Los Angeles, Mark. Uh, well, that's what Cinerama was yep. for. That's why they did those sorts of movies, to show off the format. I'm going to show this to you later. You're going you're gonna to be like, oh my, I remember that place. They tore that down. They tore that down. And it's, ter- it's horrifying. You just realize they've torn this entire city down over the last 50 years. Yeah, well, they, Everything that was meaningful, they tore it down. Including the public transportation. And then Twilight Time has released uh, Michael Todd Jr.'s Holiday in Spain, another Cinerama spectacular, uh, with Peter Lorre and Denholm Elliott. And this thing is uh, gorgeous. It's wonderful. Now, this, of course, is a narrative film. Um, and uh, it's, a, you know, it's a, essentially a, a widescreen excuse to do a, a, you know, a, a whole kind of a murder plot. And Peter Lorre is getting old and fat here, but he's still really, really good. And um, this was originally released, by the way, as the scent of mystery in the now defunct format Smell-O-Vision. 
and it goes into detail here and tells you all about smell-o-vision. So this is, uh, this is another wonderful uh, blast from the past as far as um, classic movies goes. And then lastly, here's, ah, before we get into the maestro of, of uh, classic movies, Leonard Maltin, we've got, uh, we want to make mention again of something we reviewed previously, the Gone with the Wind box set, which is gorgeous. This is a limited edition from Warner Brothers, and uh, I mean, there should still be quite a few of them out there. Uh, this is the, the you know, uh, extraordinary uh, anniversary, 75th anniversary edition of Gone with the Wind, and it, it's just, it, it's incomparable. And then there is also the Steven Spielberg Director's Collection, uh, eight movies on Blu-ray, Duel, The Sugarland Express, Jaws, 1941, E.T., Always, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, all on Blu-ray from Universal. That's uh, quite a collection. And uh, there aren't many there that I would say that's crap. I mean, 1941, I think, ages better now. I think it's a funnier film now than it was at the time. And even The Lost World, you know, has its moments. I mean, this is a great collection. So all of that on Blu-ray. And then uh, a final book, uh, if you're a fan of Gone with the Wind, there's also a thing out now called Ruth's Journey, which is an authorized novel that Margaret Mitchell's estate authorized to uh, basically tell the story uh, of Mammy. And uh, it's you know kind of a little bit of political correctness to revisit that character and to try to you know make her a more significant figure in all of this. But still, it's not it's uh, it's getting some good write-ups. So uh, we have not read it, but. You know, just so you know, Ruth's journey, the leg- the legacy of Gone with the Wind continues. And now, Mark, our good friend Leonard Malton, is moving into the world of podcasting with us. And uh, of course, this coincides with the discontinuing of his book, the uh, Leonard Malton's Movie Guide, which in its 2015 edition will be its very last. And I've got one here in my hand, and I'm going to get him to sign this at our at our voting meeting. Really? Yeah, I'm going to do that. And Interesting. Then I'm gonna, and then I'm what if I do it. the same thing? You should do that. You can frame the book. The book's like two, uh, 800 pages. It's okay. They, have, they make big frames. So here's Leonard. And it is my privilege to welcome our, our good friend and colleague, Leonard Malton, to our holiday edition of the IGN DigiGods podcast. And, um, Leonard, we are, uh, of course, recommending that people pick up the final edition of your book this year, not just because it's the final edition, but because... Once there are no more, it's it's going to become, I think, kind of a, a rarefied uh, commodity, possibly even on eBay, because people aren't going to stop using it. Um, so, uh, give us a give us a, just a, a brief sense of what you feel looking back on these last. I mean, it's it's nearly forty years, isn't it? It's over forty years. I, I hesitate to add. It's forty-five years to be precise. 46 since I signed a contract to do it for the first time when I was still a minor. <laughs> wow. Uh, 17 years old. And uh, it's, uh, so it's been my whole adult life. My, my, literally my entire adult life I've spent uh, working on this, uh, this movie guidebook. And uh, I will tell you, I will confess to you uh, uh, fairly openly that uh, it's a big adjustment not to be working on it right now. I can imagine. Because uh, working on a reference book of this sort that's a continuous process means you always have to be aware of things. Oh, they're, that, they're remaking that movie. Okay, I'm going to make a note of that remake. Wait a minute, here's, uh, uh, here's somebody appearing unbilled in this movie. So I went to see Gone Girl, and uh, Celia Ward turns up as a TV interviewer. 
uh, unbilled. All right, normally that would be a note we'd make in the book, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And now I, I see these things, I observe these things, and I say, well, okay, someone else will have to make note of that. Wow. Well, let, let me let me ask you this now, uh, just so people understand. The book will no longer be published or updated, but the apps will still be available for download, correct? You can still no, get the app for your no, iPhone the, the or app, not? The app, unfortunately, expired okay. uh, earlier this year uh, for the same reason, I think, that the, that the book is going away, simply that people – not only want their, I mean, in the app, it's, they they have it on their iPhones, the book they have to hold in their hand. But uh, the, I think the other uh, major factor is that people don't want to pay. Right. They don't want to pay for this information. Uh, IMDB, which is a fantastic resource, uh, it doesn't charge. Their advertisers support us, so it's free. Right. It's free to get IMDb, but the problem is, and I, I listen, I, I am, uh, I use IMDb like everybody else does. But IMDb does not curate its information. It's so inaccurate so often that I I, I find myself, um, you know, sometimes going to three different sources just to corroborate things that I, I I'm pretty sure aren't true, and and I find all kinds of mistakes there all the time. Well, and and it, that's inevitable. I mean, they work hard. I, I know they do. But but you're going to you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes of omission and commission if you're working on something as vast as that. But also, there's no uh, there's no editorial voice, and there's no sense of compressing the information, which is what we tried to do. Uh, so, if you want to find out who played the best friend in a movie, you look real quickly on IMDb. They may be giving you the cast as they often do in order of appearance in the right. film. Well, wait a minute, I want to know who that third billed actor was who played the best friend. I can't remember his name. Well, lots of luck to you. <laughs> You've yeah. got to scroll down and try to find it. Uh, it's a different approach. It's just a different approach. And, and again, the, 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 I don't want to be uh, seen as knocking you know, my uh, supposed competition uh, because I don't compete with them. They, they, you know, they're, they're the 600-pound gorilla. But uh, it's, it's a different way of doing things. Well, it, 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 I, like I said, I think the book is going to be around forever, and I think people then who have the app are certainly going to treasure that app as well if, if they still have it on their on any of their devices. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's going to continue to be a great reference tool. And you know, I was thinking of this, and I don't want to make you feel old, and I don't want to make me feel old, but you really have been doing this for half of the sound era. You have documented and Ouch. curated Ouch. half the sound era. <laughs> I mean, that's really an extraordinary achievement. That's something um, unprecedented, and I think you can wear that as a real feather in your cap. Um, but I, I, I want to move on to this also, and I want, want people to understand. I, I, I must add, I yes. must add that we are working on an updated version of my spin-off book, Leonard Maltin's Classic Movie Guide. Great. Which is near and dear to my heart, and which covers films up to 1965. And we'll have a new edition of that out next year, with something like 300 new entries, uh, films we've not covered before that are either now available on DVD or turn up on Turner Classic Movies or Fox Movie Channel. And uh, uh, so I'm very pleased about that. And see, and that helps me segue into the next point, which is I don't want anyone to think that because the book is going away, you're going away. You're, you're still going strong, and uh, your expertise will still be available, and uh, you're moving now into podcasting. 
which I think I want all of our subscribers to know because uh, they are podcast junkies, and I'm sure a lot of them will uh, very quickly migrate over and, and subscribe to yours as well. So tell us about the new podcasting effort. Uh, this idea sort of came to me by some uh, nice people at a company uh, called Midroll that produces, uh, that has been producing a series of comedy podcasts under the umbrella title Earwolf. And some of your listeners may already listen to some of these very good Earwolf shows. Well, they, they got Paul Shear, a very bright comedian and actor, to curate and assemble a new collective of popular culture podcasts under the umbrella title Wolf Pop. And all of the Wolf Pop uh, shows, 13 new shows, just debuted, uh, I guess, two weeks ago, same as uh, mine did. And uh, they asked me if I'd be interested in doing something. And I said, yes. And they said, what would you think about teaming up with a comedian? And I said, yes. <laughs> and they suggested a very bright fellow who's not only a comedian but a talented actor named Baron Vaughn. So we met, and we hit it off right away. He's a big movie buff and uh, very articulate and very funny, and we just clicked. So we are now uh, engaged in a weekly podcast called Malton on Movies with Baron Vaughn. And I said, I don't want to review new movies. Uh, too many other people are doing that, and why, you know, why, why jump into that pond knowing that? So what we do is uh, every week we pick a topic triggered by a new movie, and talk about three films that uh, usually one good movie, one not so good movie, and one sleeper. So for our first show, we took the theory of everything as our inspiration for talking about biopics. And then the next week, because of Interstellar, we talked about Matthew McConaughey movies. One really good one, one turkey, and one sleeper. Huh. And we, and we're, we're, since we're making up our own rules as we go along, we, our conversation wanders sometimes onto other and uh, tangential subjects, and we just have a good time talking. We, we like talking about movies, and uh, if you like listening to people talking about movies, I hope you'll give it a try. It's called Malton on Movies. You can find it on iTunes, or you can find it at wolfpop.com. Well, that I mean, it, it, it sounds like you are, uh, you're determined to improve our movie IQ continually, which I think was always the, the hallmark of the book. You know, um, our, our common friend and colleague, Ray Green, when he did a, a lovely piece uh, about you and the book for um, Off Ramp on NPR, he, he interviewed uh, Robert Abley and he interviewed me, and uh, it forced me to kind of think about some of the things that, that you have meant. And, and um, I've never told you this before, but it was, it, it was really interesting uh, when I first kind of started getting into film criticism because um, growing up in Los Angeles, and not to sort of smear anyone who, who you know, a, a name, but I'm going to say Gary Franklin was for a very long time and for a certain part of my youth oh, the you iconic... Oh, it's okay. Okay, so he was like the <laughs> iconic figure, and when I first was exposed to you, we should, no, we, we, we should stop and explain for people who don't remember. Well, Gary Franklin was was the te the uh, a television critic in Los Angeles, and he had a shaved head, and he had his his ten scale, and he gave every movie a ranking from one to ten, and it's at a certain point it got to be uh, every movie was ten plus. And the, the scale seemingly had no meaning, and he was he was sort of bombastic and a little over enthusiastic, and not in any way scholarly about his approach to movies. And um, you know, I, I was familiar with your book, but then you showed up on Entertainment Tonight uh, talking about movies, and it, it was like a, a reawakening. It was suddenly an awareness that someone could talk professionally and in a mature way about movies. And my first thought was, well, this guy's not at all like Gary Franklin. 
and uh, that was Except that was. They forced me to do a one to ten scale too. <laughs> but it was it was sort of it was beside the point, you know. And it was very and I learned a great deal from from watching you and from from reading you and and so it it thrills me that you're you're continuing to you know dip back into the older movies because I have and this is something I just want to touch on briefly. I have a problem with the way that movies are being treated as disposable, and we talk about this on our podcast a lot. In that some of the studios, many of the studios, really don't have a reverence for their libraries. They're, they sort of turn them over to uh, third-party uh, DVD companies like Olive and Twilight Time, and in the case of Paramount, they're letting Warner kind of handle the library because they don't think people care enough. Could you just talk for a second about you know, why people really do need to care about those classic movies that you're going to be talking about? Well, I find it interesting. I, 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 I've said this before, and forgive me if, if, I, if it's sounding redundant in any way, but it's only movies that get referred to as old. No one talks about that old Shakespeare play, Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. or that old Mark Twain novel, Huckleberry Finn, uh, or that old Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Uh, those are accepted as part of our ongoing cultural uh, identity and, uh, and awareness. Uh, but movies, because they are a commercial form uh, first, and a, an art form in most people's eyes only incidentally, uh, do get treated in a disposable fashion. And uh, people only seem to uh, be attuned to what's current and what's, what's happening right now. And that includes the studios. Uh, and, and there's no educational component in this. Look on television. Search the television dial, and including the 2000-channel universe or whatever it is now, and try to find an intelligent discussion show or interview show dealing with films or filmmakers or film history. Uh, you will search in vain. There, there ain't no such thing. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a very curious uh, entity, uh, motion picture in our, in our American culture. I think it's uh, it's no secret that it's more uh, respected uh, overseas. France, notably, being a country that took American film seriously before Americans did. So we we live in that atmosphere, and I, I think it's 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 too bad because the, the there's a great irony here. The irony is that we live at a time when there's never been more accessibility. We've never had the opportunity. To, to see or acquire as many films as we can right now, but not as many people care about them. When I was growing up, I, I won't go into that too much, because a lot of things I say begin with, when I was growing up, but <laughs> truly when I was growing up, before there was such a thing as home video, a concept my daughter when she was young could not believe existed, uh, I sometimes would forced myself, this is when I was in junior high school and high school, I'd sometimes force myself to go to sleep early, set the alarm for 2.15 a.m., wake up, tiptoe over to the TV set, and turn on the volume softly so as not to wake up the household in order to see some rare film from the 30s that I could not otherwise see. And then I'd try to get back to sleep and be awake for school in the morning, which was always a bit of a struggle, but it was worth it to see some of these movies. Yeah. Uh, that's how hard it was to 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 get to see a lot of films and to try to build a uh, uh, you know personal history uh, with them. And now you can get darn near anything, but the interest level has 
has uh, receded. I think uh, it's like anything else. The scarcity of it is what makes something precious. It's like gold, and when something is suddenly easy and accessible, you you take it for granted. I mean, I think of that just living with how many. I, I you know we have great museums. 30 minutes away, but I don't go to museums unless I'm traveling because I take the ones in my backyard for granted. And I think well, it's yes, a that's true. And there also, well, I cannot deny that there was also a certain thrill of the chase yeah. in tracking down a rare film uh, instead of just uh, you know, uh, hitting a few keystrokes and yeah. having it on your computer. Well, I, I, it, it sounds like this, this podcast is going to be a, a fantastic thing going forward. So I'm, I, for one, am really looking forward to it, and I would encourage all of our listeners to migrate over there as well. And just to wrap this up then, since this is our, our holiday podcast, and uh, we want to always shine, it's, it's always a great time to rediscover old movies and obscure movies and um, anything related to the season uh, that's not necessarily being promoted. So what are, from, from Thanksgiving all the way through Christmas and New Year's and everything in between, what are some of the movies in your mind that are real standouts that people should uh, make an effort to watch over the season? Well, as you know, they haven't shown us most of these yet. So we're uh, we in a, a situation right now where we're curious and hopeful. <laughs> and uh, uh, what, what about classic movies? What about uh, stuff on uh, DVD and Blu-ray and streaming and things that they, they can probably go seek out, just even sitting at home? Anything that's on your all-time favorite list? Well, you know, when it comes to holiday movies, I, I, I'm afraid my tastes are, are, are pretty conventional. I, I love the same ones many people do, Miracle on 34th Street and uh, Holiday Inn with Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire. And uh, uh, I'm not a fan of White Christmas, but uh, don't tell me. Which anybody. just came out in a new Blu-ray version. Yes, 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 they keep improving yeah. the look of it, the sound <laughs> of it, but they just can't improve the movie. <laughs> uh, uh, but, there, but there, you know, there are all sorts of, of, of films people don't think about. Uh, I was very fond of a film that came out uh, a little while ago called Joyeux Noël. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, about a uh, Christmas truce during World War I. And it's not a literal true story, but it is inspired by true incidents, real-life things that did happen uh, uh, during, uh, during the fighting of World War I when, when it was trench warfare, and where, in, in this case, in the film, uh, soldiers from three different countries found themselves within shouting distance of each other. Literal it's a, shouting it's, distance. It's a very good film. It's in French and English and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and German. And the English, of course, they're Scottish soldiers, if memory serves, aren't they? Yes, yes. So it might as well be a foreign language. Yeah. It's awfully good. It is a very good film. And uh, that's the kind of thing I, I tell people, you know, if, if, if you've seen all the obvious ones and uh, want something fresh, try that. Or... A wonderful film uh, called uh, uh, Remember the Night that was written in, in 1940 by Preston Sturges and directed by Mitchell Lysen with Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray, uh, which has sort of been discovered in recent years. Turner Classic Movies did a new DVD release of it a year or two back. And it's about a, um, a district attorney in New York who's going home to the Midwest, uh, I believe, for, for the holidays. And he's just busted <laughs> Barbara Stanwyck and she's going to be in a holding pen over the holidays during a recess. And uh, having a soft spot in his heart, he decides to take her home with him. Oh, that's uh, great. For the holidays. And she's very hard-boiled, and he takes her home to this idyllic, idyllic uh, homestead uh, with a loving family and something she's never experienced. And uh, uh, it, it, she, it, it works so well because if you're cynical at all, 
Well, she is your your sort of uh, your avatar in the film because she's a cynic, but she is won over by the the the, the genuineness of the uh, the warmth and the family feelings uh, in McMurray's home. It, it's it's a lovely film. Remember the well, night. That is one we are definitely going to put on. My wife cannot get enough of Barbara Stanwyck. So that's oh, and a, she's wonderful in it. That's a no-brainer in our household. Well, Leonard, thank you so much for speaking with us, and best of luck going forward with the uh, with all the new endeavors. Uh, we are all looking forward to them uh, very eagerly, and um, we'll chat with you again soon. Thank you, and if you're lonely for me anytime, you can go to leonardmalton.com. Great. Thanks, Leonard. Thank you, Wade. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, our good friend Leonard. So we wish him well with his, his podcasting endeavors. And before we wrap this show out, the last thing I wanted to uh, put a special um, uh, exclamation point on is this amazing thing that I discovered. This is not a DVD or a Blu-ray or a book. This is a thing called Hubbit. Mark, do you know what Hubbit is? Uh, I do not, but you're about to tell me. I'm about to tell you. Uh, I have been on... Here's here's what I've been looking for. I've been looking for something that will uh, work with my computer and with the the home theater system as far as sort of being my my one solution for not just being a USB hub, like a USB 3.0 hub where you can connect a lot of USB devices either to the home theater if you want, you know, like let's say you got, you've got um, uh, a little flash drive, right, that has video on it, right? So, and you've got a, a home theater component that has, that takes the video, whether it's a Blu-ray player or a receiver or whatever it is. Uh, or on my computer, something that takes all the different 3.0 input devices, but one that will also charge them, not at some measly thing, but like a 2-amp charge, like a full plug-it-in-the-wall, charge-your-phone-fast kind of charge. Why? Because I'm converting my whole home theater to um, to an automated app that does like one-stop master remote control. You just had a guy hook up your, your one-stop remote control system. Took hours, right? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay. I have a universal remote now. Uh, yeah. It took him two hours to figure out how to program the universal remote. Well, I'm moving to a thing called a Roomy Remote, which is an app. And, you know, it's got in-app purchases. And it's, it's supposed to be this thing where you, once you get it going, it controls everything. But, it's, you know, you use it on your phone or you use it on your iPad. Well, I want to charge those things. So I need something that will not just be my USB interface but will also let me charge these things. There's no, I couldn't find anything out there that did what I needed it to do, which would do full speed charging on all ports. Um, in this case, there's you know seven of them, and which would also be a full blown hub uh, for you know connectivity. Hubit is that thing. It's 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 a remarkable device, and uh, it, it's kind of a these guys. They make you know the modules are great. You open it up, you pop it up. You got modules that you can replace, and they can connect to you know USB to you know USB uh, the mini USB, or it'll be any of the Apple connectors. They make all these little module connectors, so you don't. It's not just like USB ports. They they have connectors, and you specifically use that to plug devices in. And you can overload it. I mean, it only has so much stuff. You're not going to plug in like five iPads and, and charge them all. But you'll charge a couple of phones and an iPad and maybe a few other devices, and you can still have connectivity to, to you know, load some video. It's really amazing. Uh, and uh, it's one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen. And I, I think these guys have come up with something that will be like one of the greatest Christmas gifts that you could give to anybody that's looking for something to enhance their home theater or to enhance their... Um, 
computer system. It's a it's a it's a dock and it's a charging station and it's all those things and it's the best one you're going to find out there. And the modules make it infinitely expandable and they upgrade their firmware and lots of great surprises in store uh, in the future for this thing. So this is uh, this is gear that you need to have just going forward for your home theater absolutely and for your computer absolutely. Um, Hobbit is available. You can look in, on Amazon.com. You can uh, you know I, uh, Best Buy's got it. Uh, you can get more information on it by going to Eggtronic.com. E G G T R O N I C Eggtronic.com. Uh, it's just uh, it's an extraordinary piece of equipment. So I highly recommend that. And with that, our holiday show marathon is over. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, have a great Thanksgiving and a fantastic Christmas. We're going to try to get another show under our belts after our LAFCA voting in early December. Well, we uh, have to. We have to gossip about what happened during the voting meeting. We do. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll score another show sometime mid-December. Not sure exactly when, but look for that. And then after that, we're going to go on hiatus till the beginning of the year. So with that, we're going to take you out with the amazing theme song, for WKRP in Cincinnati, now the complete series out on DVD. I'm living on the air in Cincinnati, Cincinnati WKRP. Got kind of tired of packing and unpacking, town to town, up and down the dial. Maybe you and me were never meant to be, just maybe think of me once in a while. That highway leaving you behind Hardest thing I ever had to do Broke my heart in two But baby, pay no mind The price for finding me was losing you Memories helped me hide my lonesome feeling Far away from you and feeling low It's getting late, my friend, my love, I miss you so care of you, I've got to go.